Your Grace. I haven't shown you the hospitality you deserve. My king has married, and I owe my new queen a wedding gift. Good morrow, wizards and wildlings, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, a.k.a. Mortis Noctu, and this is episode 71. And today we have a stacked deck with a full ensemble of familiar and new voices. I'd like to welcome our fantastic guests to the show. First, we have our good friend Travis, a.k.a. Obsidian Crow. Welcome back, Travis. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm stoked to be back with all of these uh wonderful people new faces new voices <laughs> glad to have you here you've been uh, working on a project right tell us about that and where we can uh, find that oh yeah um so make it really quick and brief uh my friend and i were opening a leather goods and mead store here in portland we're doing a pre-order directly through our website and the website is www.weirdleatherandmead.com and weird is spelled Y R D. It's spelled weird. It's spelled. <laughs> it's spelled weird. Yeah. It's spelled weird. Weird. <laughs> That's great. I can't wait to try your mead. Yeah, man. Uh, once we once we get our space and get our license, we'll be able to hopefully ship. Nice. Next, we have our recent guest Rachel joining us from House Fox, Master of Dressage. Welcome back, Rachel. Hey, Duncan. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me appreciate being on today oh yeah great to have you back and our recent guest sir patrick of hindsight joins us welcome to a game of microphones sir patrick yes i have accrued some more titles to my name uh since (laughs) last we spoke so i am now known as uh sir patrick of the hindsight son of the heart player gazer of the mirish rearview wiper of raven poop nibbler of mccumber's eye crust Wearer of the tinfoil bucket. <laughs> tinfoil bucket. <laughs> Killer. And for the first time on Game of Microphones, I would like to introduce our special guest, co-creator of the serial horror drama podcast, Sirenicide, and our good friend, Johnny Stitches. Welcome, Johnny. How are you doing, Duncan? <laughs> oh my god, I'm doing pretty well. Better now that we've got this call all sorted out. I think that's Batman. <laughs> Welcome. I'm man. not going to talk like this the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> giving us a little taste of his character from Sirenicide. And you guys can find me on there as Malik Husto. Running for mayor. Check it out. It's a wild ride. Oh, oh man. I can't believe this is actually happening after so much, uh, you know, anticipation trying to get this call sorted out with technical issues and whatnot. It's happening. Uh, On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 9, The Reigns of Castamere, and you know that the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones seasons tend to have something big. The death of Ned, etc. So, warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. What'd you guys think about this episode? Uh... 
sad. Sad. Uh, right? Oh, man. It lingers way too long. The end is way too long. Leaving you in <laughs> silence is just cruel, too, right? That was one of the notes I made. Yeah, me too. Same here. Oh, yeah, I bet. I, uh, I've actually shielded myself from most of the sadness with a, a big, thick sheet of tinfoil. So, <laughs> it's, I was just I was just amazed that the shock factor still holds up. I mean, it I does. just watched it again the other night, and I was just like, I know what's going to happen. My God. Oh. Did you guys, did, were y'all impacted by the books first, or did you watch the uh, episode first? Because I know everybody seems to be different that I talked to. I had seen the TV show first. I, I caught up live with the show at the, the, the Mountain and the Viper, season four, episode eight. And then I, uh, I watched the next two episodes to finish off that season live and then read the books during the off season. So I first experienced it on TV. I had heard of the Red Wedding, but I had no idea about like what would happen. So I was just totally shocked by that. How about uh, you, Rachel? Um, I watched the show first. Uh, so I'm currently reading the books and I have not made it to the Red Wedding yet. But um, I watched it first. I watched it with husband and i just remember when the credits were rolling we just sat there and kind of looked at each other we were like <laughs> what the fuck just happened <laughs> yeah totally uh, travis am i remembering correctly you uh you read it in the books first uh no no i oh, okay. uh i first watched the show and then i think once john was season five waiting before season no it was it was about season four season between season four and season five is when i um, caught up on all the books. Um, nice. Yeah, same here. Also, not- Rachel, I should be wary. I had a note mentioned that happens in the books. So you said you haven't read the Red Wedding. Oh, that's yet. fine. Don't worry about it. I'm, okay. I'm not afraid of book spoilers. We'll okay, just give good. the audience a uh, you know a few seconds heads up before you mention it, so they can skip ahead for a couple. Yeah, of it seconds. was just about Grey Wind. That was all it was. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. And uh, Sir Patrick, you are currently reading the books now, right? Uh, yeah, I just I just started uh, Clash of Kings this morning, actually, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, the more yeah, I just get more and more into it. But uh, yeah, I also I'm not worried about book spoilers. I have been I, I oh, just, yeah, you've gone deep. I go I go on Westeros.org and Wiki of Ice and Fire and um, at Aswaf subreddit and all that stuff, and uh, I just I, I look at people's tinfoil youtube videos all the time and yeah there's there's so much there's so much there that like i know you can't really be spoiled because there's always more to see like right. even if you already know what's coming totally and what did yeah. you say johnny had you uh had you read the books i had read all the books up to that point Ooh. i um uh, i i caught the caught the second season live so i i binged the first season and then i was uh Watching the second season, bored at work, and decided to download the first audiobook to see what the difference was between the first season I just watched and the second one. Like between what felt like forever, the uh, the weeks between episodes, those five or six days that felt like they stretched forever. My workload basically allowed me to burn through half of a Game of Thrones novel a week, which is pretty pretty because it's you know, like forty eight yeah, hour books. Yeah, yeah, totally. So by the end of season two, I was actually caught up like with all the books but it seems like i mean that was 2012 2013 and i haven't touched one since so the books the books the books are a lot <laughs> foggier than uh 
than a lot of uh, the TV shows. The TV show seems to be more clear in my mind than the books do the books because I just binged them too quickly. It all right. just meshed together. That's Yeah, that happens to me too. I, I've got to go through the books again because I'll admit I'm getting a little rusty with my book knowledge, which is no good. <laughs> so let's jump into our top three. How about our new guest, Johnny Stitches, gets the first shot before we all take away his points and claim them for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, right. Johnny? Well. Well, mine definitely revolves around my favorite character in the series. Egret's Heartbreak was my number three. Oh. Uh, for, for a moment there, she was about to defend John when they're like, and his crow wife too. And so he pushes her down, kind of taking her out of the fight. Right. And She's then, not with you me. Know, of course, <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Tormund grabs her and, you know, trying to shake her into reality, like holding her back. And then he, when he rides off, the look on her face was oh just like, God, so oh, intense. God. Oh, God. But that was definitely my number three is just Egret's heartbreak. I mean, it's the start of a, a catalyst for that that arc into that moment. You know, she feels like everything I guess he had been telling her up to that moment. It just kind of it, her her brothers proved, you know, her proved themselves right at that moment, it seemed like. Yeah. How about that moment, too, when uh, I mean, well, first of all, when yeah, when he rides away, the look on her face is brutal. Her eyes are wide. It looks like a, a like a yeah. explosive mixture of of pure anger and grief at the shock and shock, yeah. too. Yeah. But just, just the disbelief of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, what I thought well, was my, pretty my big. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. I was wondering if what you guys thought too. Like, whenever he uh, says later, you were right the whole time. I mean, is she an right. earshot of that? I don't. Like, I don't know. I, it seems. I don't think so. You know what that yeah. reminded me okay. of? That's what. That's actually what I was just about to bring up. It reminded me of the moment in The Lion King when the Mufasa is about to be thrown <laughs> down by Scar, and he like pulls him close oh, and whispers man. something to him, like, "Yeah, live yeah. <laughs> the king." That's so funny you say that because I literally just watched The Lion King with my son today. <laughs> no way. The Lion King is hands down my favorite. <laughs> oh, it's anything James Earl Jones is right for me. <laughs> yeah exactly that's a good number three that it was a very impactful moment i would have to agree with that how about you rachel what's your number three so my number three is when aria is standing um kind of out looking over the river at the stark camp um with the twins in the background um i I love this scene because I feel like it's kind of a little bit of a foreshadow about what's to happen because the hound is talking to her saying, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be there. You keep looking like, you know, they're, you keep looking like they're going to leave. And I just love their back and forth. I love their ventures together. And, um, you know, I, I love that Aria, calls the hound out on his fear of fire right and the hounds calling her out on her fear of not seeing her family again and they just have such a great chemistry together and i just loved that scene when when aria calls him out and it says i know you're afraid of fire i saw it you know he's like i've you know i know fear when i've seen it i've seen it a lot you know and she's like well i saw fear in you i know you're afraid of fire and she tells him the story it reminded me of um at the hands tourney in season one when baelish pulls sansa close and tells her the story of how the hound got his burned face and he says oh but don't say anything to him about it because or he'll kill you you know <laughs> but he didn't didn't kill Arya when she rubbed it in his face, pun intended. Um, no, and I think no, it's because man. he 
you know, like he wants to essentially sell her back to her family. I mean, that's why he's taking her to the twins in the first place. But you can tell that, I mean, even during the red wedding, when after, you know, she's hiding and he knocks her over the head, you you can tell that he's genuinely wanting to protect her and get her home to say, I mean, to safety is, you know, as the hound always says, you know, there's no safe place anymore. But, um, you know, I, I really felt that you could tell in that moment they, you know, Arya's not afraid of the Hound. I mean, she stood toe-to-toe with Definitely him. And he, ta- he towers over Maisie <laughs> Williams. Yeah, it's funny. And so I just, I like that she, you know, showed her sass and kind of her confidence in herself. And it was just a, it was just a good scene in a really tragic episode. Yeah, definitely. I agree. You know, it just occurred to me that they're both, they're sort of like playing like a an early version of uh, the game of faces with each other in this scene. Totally. Oh, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And there's even a part where he says something about like, you can't hide behind that face. Right. Oh, wow. That's a good point, too. Yeah. So funny. And um, I, what I also liked about this scene is how... Arya refused. She she begged the Hound not to kill, um, you know, the guy, uh, the the farm guy, right? And it, it the just the pig, the pig guy, yeah, yeah. And it just yeah. made made me think of of Arya as a character and how con, how consistent they've been with writing her. Um, is you know this is the thing that basically prevents her from becoming no one uh, in in the future, and uh, and. Sorry, I have it written down here more <laughs> eloquently. Um, where is it? Oh, yeah, this is as dark as Arya gets as a character. She's still a hero. This scene shows that she still has an innate care to protect the innocent and to not kill those who haven't earned the stranger's kiss. It's something to keep in mind as we watch the development of Arya's character and this, this critical ability to discern and follow her own sense of morality, no matter the threat at hand, is the reason she never fully becomes no one at the House of Black and White, because she won't blindly mm-hmm. kill that actress, you know? And, okay. Uh, I'd, I'd just say it's, uh, it seems to me to be consistent character development by Gurn. She has a moral compass. Yeah, and yeah, I think they did a cool job with this. I I have a I have something to say about that. Um, like so, the hound he lives by a code, and you know he like he says that he's not a thief, and you know like later on, and Arya is just like, what? It's okay to to murder people, but you don't steal. And he's like, every man <laughs> has to have a code, right? And right. then like you know, then it's like he, you know when he breaks his code by like killing the farmer, and, or you know by taking the farmer's silver and basically leaving him to die, like. It's like he broke his code, and right. that's what he has to be punished for. But okay, so in this scene, you see that he's eating the merchant's um, pig's feet or whatever. Right. Good and point. And so, did they end up just killing him anyway? Like, you know, is this like a something that happens off camera? Like, uh, I think they probably just left him left him lying there. <laughs> it's like he's 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 taking his food. He stole from him, and right. it's like he stole his you, car, you see, stole his food. <laughs> You see him killing people and then just like scavenging from them all the time, like throughout, like you know, and, and it's kind of like uh, it, it's kind of like some sort of something that doesn't even like stand out all the time. Like you, you know, if you just, like if you're watching closely, you'll see that after Arya like stabs the one dude, then like the hound like sits down and starts eating their food and stuff. Like yeah, 
but it seems like he he'll he'll take stuff from people he kills. Or just, or just every fucking chicken in the room he'll he'll take. <laughs> I just feel <laughs> you know. I feel like she would have brought it up, you know, if uh like at that part where they're overlooking the twins when he's eating all that, like and you still killed him, you know, something like that. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous that he's alive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think he's still alive. What about uh what about your uh, number three, Trav? Um, so my my number three is kind of more of the overall theme. This episode had a lot of firsts. Um let me go back up to it. <laughs> Hang on. First wedding murder. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's the first episode that King's Landing and here I'll just read. Oh, the that here. they're not in. Interesting. Yeah, none of King's Landing and all of its associated characters and storylines do not appear in this episode to focus primarily on the events at the Twins. Um, this makes it the first episode not to have even a single scene in King's Landing. Um, wow. It's also the first episode that a single uh, Lannister is not pictured. Oh, true. Reference. Yeah. Yeah, just referenced, yep. Yeah, they were just, I mean, obviously the song was playing. <laughs> and uh, Jamie Lannister sends his regards. <laughs> or whatever. Shiv, shiv, shiv. Yeah, Jux. Gank. Um, sorry, the the first mention of Jaehaerys, uh, who reigned two centuries prior. The conciliator? Yeah, Jaehaerys, the first Targaryen. Um, nice. Yeah. So he was mentioned in this episode. That was the first time he was mentioned. Um, it's the first, as I mentioned earlier, the first credit uh, that was dead silent. Yeah, so eerie. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that, you know, just she gets her throat slit and then just thud. Yeah. And you're just it, like, what? <laughs> I've found I, that sometimes the most impactful <laughs> stimulus can be the t- complete and total lack of st- stimulus itself. Right. You know, or like you, you, they give you all this crazy stuff and then they just leave you in darkness and just silence all of a sudden. And it's just like, you're just reflecting and your mind is doing all the work mm-hmm. and uh, just stewing on that last moment of chaos. I think it was a really effective tactic. What do you guys think about the silence at the end? I, I, I really liked it. <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> okay. Cause it's like the Lannisters do appear in a way, because the silence. Is oh. Oh. <laughs> I think it gives you a time, you know, a little bit of time to absorb literally like what just happened. Because while it's it's slow, it's so like I just remember watching it the first time. It was so shocking. I was having trouble like figuring out what the fuck was going on. Like yeah. all of a sudden, everyone's dying, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> What is happening? Your brain physically and, cannot yeah, process and then that. <laughs> the silence, you know, it's like, oh my god, like Cat's dead, Rob's dead, Talessa's dead, Young Eddard, the baby's dead. Who the fuck is Roose Bolton? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, what the fuck? Because I was still trying to like figure out all the characters, and I'm like, wait, that was his bannerman. So. I thought it was extremely effective, that silence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As a musician, Johnny, what about you? What do you think? I thought it was great. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, I know, like, 
it actually impacted us on like our, our personal podcast because we have a partner episode where I'm not going to name it but where someone dies and at the end I just had like torches flickering and then it fades into silence and I was like oh, oh it could be like the Red Wedding <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> and That's but what's luck. cool is I did the rewatch uh, uh, last week and I did it again this week on the uh, the HBO Go thing through Xfinity or whatever nice and they have that uh, at the very beginning it says you know stick around after the credits for a uh, look behind the episode or whatever and I thought, man, they didn't have that in 2013. I could use that, <laughs> yeah, right. like that talk, like that Talking Dead kind of like counseling thing, <laughs> because it, it really, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, because uh, I mean, it, it was nothing. It was silence credits, <laughs> and then okay, I guess I'll go to bed and get up for work the next day. <laughs> Fuck, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's so funny. Uh, I think it, it seems to sort of invoke like what Beric and John both said about the other side, about you know about having died and like what they experienced, and it was just nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's a that's an interesting point. Yeah, what did you see? Melisandre asks John. Nothing. There was nothing. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, and just, uh, like, snuffed out. Yeah. How about uh, how about your number three, Patrick? Um. I'm gonna say the uh, the wildling warging into his bird and attacking John. Oh, Orel, just yeah. uh, related. Uh, just uh, the just related to the tin foil that can sort of be formed around there because um, if you watch in the first season uh, when Eddard dies, right before he dies, he looks up and then it cuts to like a the like flock of birds that he's looking at. yeah Uh, you don't see his eye roll back and turn white but you know maybe it does that um you know because his head stays alive after it's chopped off like they're known to do interesting like 20 seconds uh yeah Uh, yeah. uh, who's that guy that did the experiments where you would cut off people's heads like people in france i think during the uh the you know the french revolution they were guillotining all kinds of guys and he was doing experiments trying to get them to blink after (laughs) after the heads got cut off (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. and he was able to. Yeah, it's hardcore. Did Super you notice hardcore. the um the the bird? You could still hear the bird um up in the tower flying around after that whole scene. Oh uh, wow. When, when Bran and um when they were all talking up in the tower trying to calm the Oh, that's cool. I didn't notice that. You can still hear Orel's eagle like screeching cuz you know Orel's dead. <laughs> Yeah, but he's yeah. not really dead. He's a he's an eagle now. Yeah, he may. Yeah, he, maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. he's in that thing. Yeah, <laughs> he's up there squeaking. See, I was right. Look what I see. Look. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't thunder. <laughs> oh, speaking of how the uh, the Talking Dead, how it's like a post show therapy session for anybody who would like that type of experience for Game of Thrones. I know they had After the Thrones, which yeah, I, I wasn't too sold on it. But uh, what I've been doing is tuning into uh, yeah, tuning into uh, Behind the Iron Throne. They have a really good post show uh, live show that they do, which uh, they stream live on Facebook, and also post show recaps. Uh, Game of Thrones podcast oh. has a good one too. Um, mm-hmm. Just options for people out there if you need something immediately after that when the credits roll those are two really good options oh okay so i have a question since we're on that scene is so bran wargs into summer and shaggy dog and they like start attacking the wildlings yeah and it's like okay that's really cool so cool wouldn't john 
notice that there are two other dire wolves aside from ghosts, like ripping the throats out of people. Like I, I rewind. I think he did. I think he yeah, did. Yeah, I rewound it like a couple of times because he watched that guy's neck get all chewed up. Right, and he's like, "Whoa, is that?" Is but that like nothing kind of came of that. Like I, I just found it kind of weird. You know, wouldn't he think twice? Like, oh my God, maybe Bran and Rickon are yeah. somewhere around here because he knows those, those are... wolves. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. knows the wolves, and they're still. I believe they're still south of the wall. They and are. going back mm-hmm. to like the, the first case. episode, you know, there are no dire wolves aside from these five puppies, right, south of the wall. So, like, I I just thought it was kind of odd that he he saw them. But, you know, maybe he was just like, and there was so much shit going on that he couldn't focus or (laughs) figure it out. But I just thought it was kind of interesting, like that nothing ever really came to fruition from that. It's funny that you mention it, too, because the same sort of thing sort of kind of happened with uh, with Bran. You know, he wargs into summer and he's down there ripping guys throats out and he sees John and then. It's it's so much stuff was happening that it like kind of took him a couple minutes to be like oh oh yeah hey Rickon I totally just saw John down there you know fighting with the wildlings yeah. I tried to kill him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean I just thought it was kind of interesting because like I mean John's face wasn't even like what the fuck it was more like what is happening but you know yeah. those are clearly direwolves yeah. you know they're I think at that point dogs. it's like yeah it's 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 like who's he gonna tell you know he's gonna get back to the wall and. Um, Nobody there has ever met Bran or Rickon, you know, so maybe it's just That's like, true. you know, he just didn't have an opportunity to uh, to bring it up really to someone who would understand the significance of it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 conspicuously absent any any mention of that in the future. Um, it would have been cool, for instance, when uh, he gets reunited with Bran back at Winterfell. That hasn't happened yet, has it? Has he seen Bran? Nope. No. Maybe no, because Bran arrives when John After he leaves Danny. and goes to Dragonstone. Right. Hello, Sansa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so maybe... You so beautiful on your wedding night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Cyber Bran. Cyber Bran. Maybe, uh, maybe when John is reunited with Bran, he'll be like, oh, you know, thank you for saving my life south of the wall. That one time, you know, in summer, killed that guy. By the way, <laughs> you slept with your aunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you ease that into the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my number three is Walder Frey, and specifically the yes. uh, the, the naming of the, the potential wives. <laughs> I'm married. So funny. <laughs> Yeah, there's Sarah and Sarah and Waldra, Welra, and no, it's Mary. <laughs> wait, 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 I was going to bring this up. Uh, Do you mind if I read the list, Duncan? No, go for it. So, Walda, Ar... I can't even say that. Arwaya, Durwa, <laughs> Walda, Janera, Nayla, Sarah, Sarah, spelled with Ian, and then another one spelled with Granddaughters, Ian. twins. You could have had <laughs> yeah, either. Yeah. Could have had both for all I care. <laughs> Marianne, Freya, Mary, Shiri, um, when, or no, no, not Wendell. Um, Bertha, Waldra, Waldina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great. He's such a, like an old, disgusting man, um, you know, and he can't do anything without being grossly offensive in some variety, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I wrote it on a few of our favorite quotes uh, for the episode. Nice. And my top two were were Walders, which was old eyes. Oh, I just love that. All right, <laughs> the, old, come close. Old eyes. <laughs> and then <laughs> a wedding needs a bedding. I mean, he's just got like the best lines of the episode. <laughs> he really does. He's got so many great lines uh, throughout this I whole really thing. Liked the king in the north arises. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. Oh, oh he's such a prick. <laughs> And I think it's worth noting that at the beginning of this scene, when he, when he, uh, you know, honored my honored guests, welcome within my walls and at my table. I extend to you my hospitality and protection in the light of the seven. He willingly and vocally extends the protection of guest right to them, and you can see mm-hmm. that there's a plate being passed around with bread and salt, uh, the you know the symbolic plate. And uh, it even stops right in front of Walder at one point, and he takes a piece of his own bread. Um, so, you know, the, the northern custom is that if, when somebody goes to your house and you feed them bread and salt, they are then protected by guest right that the, the owner of the property would does not have the right to, to murder them specifically, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I just thought it was, you know, telling and poignant how very clear they made it that guest right was being afforded to these people as they arrived and um, they even they, they said it and they visually showed it with the the plate being passed around so it's even more messed up you know that when they, the right is violated at the end enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Were you going to say something, Johnny? No, no, no. That was right on the head, man. He's he's just... He's just an ass, man. But the <laughs> right? best at it. He's so he's so <laughs> awesome at being an ass, too. <laughs> yeah, total yeah. Perv. You just okay. I'm back. Sorry, all guys. Right. No, no, it's all good. Uh, we were just talking about objectifying women, so welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Walder being just a horrible person. Well, what I was going to say, since Duncan said that <clears throat> Walder was like his favorite um, or his top three. Or number three, I should say. <laughs> um, I really focused on his costume. Oh, I have a friend. Uh, shout out to Jack Blair who cosplays Walter Frey. That's a good one too. And my right? God, it's like so uncanny. Like I'll, I'll send you guys all a picture and maybe send it to Duncan to post or whatever. 
but uh, he he tracked down the the maker who made Walder's um, his his whole like get up, and so some of the wow. training that is some of the trimming that is on his robe, Jack was able to find off the same wheel that was used for the the show. He wow. found like three yards of it or whatever, and he bought all of it for his costume because it's I mean it's it's the other half of that was used on Walder's the, the real Walder in Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's killer. And oh That's dedication. God, he, Jack is just he can transform into like the. Walder, Dumbledore, yeah, Gandalf. He does like a every time of he them. does something, Theoden from Lord of the Rings. Like every time he does something, it's like a total. It's like a mask. Like he just. He's like a. I don't know how he does man. it. I'll show you guys. about to say the faceless man. <laughs> yeah, great. the faceless man. Yeah. Wow. But uh, Patrick, you're programmed to notice all faceless man references. Yeah. No. No. I'm <laughs> constantly on the lookout for all tinfoil and. References and symbolism. And so, Patrick, I'm gonna send you some tin foil in the middle. Just like <laughs> yeah. a roll like of literally it. Literally, tin foil. Okay. Um. So let's uh, break down all of the instances here a little bit where Walder is despicable. First of all, he references the gr- the twin granddaughters, saying that Rob could have had either or both for all he cares, and Edmure just kind of like Ugh, like closes his eyes and turns his head. <laughs> the look on his face is just pure disgust. And then, uh, you know, he's horrible that he can't even remember the girl's name. And, you know, he says, <laughs> he's just like, I'm Mary. And then he's, yeah, he's just like, fine. Fine. You know? uh, Mary, fine. Yeah, fine. And then the next one, <laughs> his youngest daughter, Sheree, uh, though she hasn't bloodlet. Clearly, clearly you don't have the patience for all that anyway, since Rob, you know, didn't have the patience and married somebody else. <laughs> And then he's objectifying Talissa, calling her forward, talking about, you know, how if she, he could see Everything what's under Everything stays in its place. Right, I yeah. Can, I can always see what's going on. Oh, and that's supposed to be charming. <laughs> oh, oh, gross. Oh, man. And, and, like, the way when he, like, is, like, talking about how, like, uh, everything, everything stays perfectly in place when that comes off. Doesn't like, move one it, inch. It, it, show, it shows, <laughs> like... In a tight fit. Yeah, tight fit. And, and oh, then, then the, sh- the shot just shows Rob, Talissa, and Kat, <laughs> and, like, Kat, and they're, like, not reacting, but, like, their non-reaction to it just really, like, reveals their tension and like just the fact that cat there is an older woman is there while he's like this guy's like undressing the woman next to him and talking about right. how thing nothing moves oh that's and it's perfect. the that's fucking the queen dude you know what i mean yeah. like god damn you got the queen in your hall and you're like talking about her fucking tits and like her, like he would have broken 50 oaths to get inside of that right oh that's <laughs> hardcore oh, telling the king that like, God damn, he's being outright disrespectful, you know, like kind of foreshadowing or, you know, telegraphing his, his f- future move during the wedding itself. But, you yeah. know, it's crazy, man. Like, that is next level. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, how, since you mentioned, like, how he kind of, like, is telegraphing, it's like when you, when you go back and, and look at this episode, everything is telegraphed. Everything, like... We should have seen all of this coming, you know, like yep. the, there's a, the really, the only, the only reason like, you know, we're conditioned by traditional tropes to, you know, expect things to work out for the hero. Right. And we should have known <laughs> after, after Ned, but then, uh, and then also just, uh, 
it's like what we want to happen. Like it's, and we're sort of in the same boat as, as uh, Robert and Kat, where we just want things to work out so much that we're just sort of like fingers crossed and holding on and being like, Oh, this just has to work because it just, just has to they're just making us think it's gonna go bad like they usually do and everything's gonna be fine and it was just last episode when we got the full explanation of the reigns of castromere from uh, from cersei who, mm-hmm. you know explains which is totally a setup for like this that. yeah you know, exactly like wiping out a house yeah you know and i think what i know um i've read enough of the books to know like the guests right like eating the bread with the salt that kind of solidifies like your guest right and that's why they you know, they kind of panned in on the bread and salt and you watch them each take a bite and dip it in the salt. And, you know, I think it let a lot of the audience's guard down a little bit because you, you, you see physically like Walder's eating the bread and salt, Talissa's right. eating it, Rob's eating it, Kat Rob's eating devouring it. it. Talking and, about how um, in the future their houses could be friends again, you know, and like toasting yeah, to so it, essentially. Yeah, and so you kind of get like lackadaisical when you see that a little bit like oh okay well he's offering them guest right so but then what i loved is um walder Frey at some point he goes the wine will flow red right oh yeah and it hit me too. i was like oh my god that's it's not the only a, thing that'll flow red <laughs> yeah, yeah um you know but i will say when Talessa started telling Rob about, you know, like if it's a boy, I'm going to name him Eddard. Yes. I, even when I first watched it, I was like, Oh no, this is too good to be true. This is not a show that has happy endings. You're mentioning Ned Stark who died in episode nine of season one. And I got like a really uncomfortable feeling. Like I didn't know what was going to happen, but I thought, like, uh oh, they're 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 daydreaming. They're dreaming about a better life. They're dreaming about their perfect life, and it's this is not a perfect a good life sign. show. <laughs> so yeah. I, I started getting like anxious at that point, but I still had. I mean, I had no idea what we were in for, but I just thought to myself, like, someone's gonna die. Yeah. I didn't think all of them were gonna die. <laughs> right. Oh my god. <laughs> but I thought yeah. someone's someone's gonna die. And the uh, the thing too is that. Um, like at that moment, you know, for the audience, we're all like, "Oh God!" They she invoked the Ned, you know, and something bad's gonna happen. And but for, for for Rob, he was probably more in love with her at that moment than he ever was, you know, when when of she course. suggested that it was like the best, most obvious choice for a name, and he was just like, "Oh my God!" Like every, this is perfect, you know. I said, "Boy, if, if Rob didn't love her already, this cements it," you know, that line naming him Eddard, but also it, it unfortunately cements the fate of young Eddard as well, because it seems that all Eddard Starks are destined to perish prematurely. Uh, unfortunate pun in this case intended. I apologize for that. <laughs> well, drawing also another parallel is, you know, Taliza and Rob right there, they, they were sitting really close to the table and Rob kind of leans over later on in the episode, like he wants to kiss her and kind of hug on her. And she says, don't do that. That would insult him and looks up at Walder. So even in that moment, you got like this ultimate goodness going on between this young pregnant woman, like, and that, cause I mean, that, that's basically the moment they could have had like a last kiss kind of thing. And they knew what was going to go oh, down man. and she stops it just to like pay respect to where they're at at that point. Cause she knows she already feels like she's insulted this guy just by being there. Right. Um, good catch. I was a uh, saw that, and then at that moment, Catelyn looks over and actually 
grins because she sees how close they are at that table when she's sitting next to Bolton over there. And it's like, oh, man. Oh, man. In that yeah, moment, she's, she's finally accepting it. her daughter-in-law. And, ah. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right, too. That look on Kat's face, she was like, oh, she was like, you know, probably thinking about her and Ned seeing it with those two, like, and, you know, yeah, you're totally right about that. I think that, the love is her. tangible, like, in that moment, because, like, like you said, Johnny, uh, you know, she kind of, like, stops him to be respectful, but their chemistry and their love emanating from each other, like, they don't have to be, like, physical with each other to feel that. Right. You know, like in the room, yeah, it's probably tangible and the energy that they're emitting from their bodies, like resisting each other, but loving each other at the same time. I think Kat more. was feeling that and happy that her son has found that in his life. And at this point, you know, all is well, like um, her brother, I, I like to call him the flaccid fish. Uh, the floppy <laughs> fish, yeah. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> He's eating blackberries out of Rosalind Frey's hands. He bitched about the whole time. He's happy. It seems that Walder has forgiven her son. They have an ally back to go attack Castle Casterly Rock. And her son is in love and they have a baby on the way. It's like there was a brief moment of life is this good. Work. On Everything her is working out. <laughs> and you referring to the flaccid fish, are you making a book reference there? No. Oh my God, no, that's so I funny because talk- that's the thing from a book, from the books. A singer oh, once really? sang a song about about Edmure called about a floppy fish. No, and I haven't even gotten to Edmure in the story yet. It's amazing. <laughs> that's so funny. I that's just had, like, had a awesome. feeling that since you said flaccid and not floppy, I was like, this is a coincidence. Because he's such a gomer. He's so like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Oh, you're gonna get a kick out of it. What are you gonna say, Johnny? I was just going to say, I mean, it's true. And in that moment, you know, I'm sure Rob's even more in love with her because she's being all stoic and respectful in that moment. And he's the son of Catelyn and Ned. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you found that now you're in your woman because she could have just easily just leaned into him and kissed him. She's the queen, you know, but right. she didn't. She, you know, she's just all about respect, even in that moment of yeah. all the joy and jubilee. Yeah, Good call, uh, definitely. I can kind of relate to that because sometimes when I'm like, you know, out in public at like gatherings with my wife or something and like, I don't know, we're just so in love and like we have to kind of like not try like not to rub everybody's face in it. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's Good for you. But yeah. See. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Uh, anybody else have anything else to add to the that Walder Frey stuff or should we move on to Johnny's number two? Uh, I, well, before we go into that, I got one last Walter Frey thing. I, right. The the look that Walter Frey gives Rob when Edmure is uh, cloaking Rosalind, like, hey, hey, you see that? Stupid. Yeah, you could have like, that. He just <laughs> he, like, hangs his tongue slightly out of his mouth at him. He's so <laughs> gross. He's like, ha, fuck you. And I love how he shows Rob, like, what we were talking about going through all the lists of his daughters and granddaughters. They're all just like, you know not the most beautiful women in the world, but yet Rosalind is nowhere to be found on that list uh, when he's showing yeah. Rob. Right. And then he purposely covers her with a veil, which in the other weddings doesn't seem to be like tradition. Right. Um, yeah. So he's purposely keeping her covered. And like you said, the look he gives Rob and Rob's kind of like, damn, <laughs> like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, remember he even says to Talisa, maybe I made a mistake. 
because in striking your king is treason. Yeah. And even when uh when Rosalind's walking down when she's still veiled before we're shown how pretty she is, and that moment Walter is manages to be trolling Rod and Edmure at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. His troll game great. is next level. Oh my god. You can re- you can tell what a fucking scumbag he is just by just how miserable his daughters all look. Like yeah, they all right. look like it's... they are living a life of like just absolute. Well, they're misery. like forty years old and they're probably all virgins. So <laughs> I mean, how can he be like super happy? And you, you mentioned that they're they're not necessarily all the best looking wom- women. You know that that must suck to be an actress and be like, we need an ugly girl. You you want it to part? <laughs> you know I, mean? I I really it's like it's sort of it's it's mostly done in makeup though. Like it's it's really yeah. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of the true. times it like is like Gilly. Yep. Yeah, Gilly is gorgeous even, in real life, uh, and Osha. I read this article like to make herself look a little bit more. Um, I think she used the word like simple and plain. She like relaxed her lower jaw so her mouth would kind of like hang open a little bit, and mm-hmm. it changed like her whole facial structure. Yeah, she like doing pushes it. her jaw forward a little bit. Kind yeah, of yeah. She just and the the way she held her face like artificial dirt kind face. Of, yeah. So I mean, but you see her in person or like you know not in character, and I mean she's gorgeous. Really beautiful woman. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really seen her out of character much. All right, shall we? Yeah, there. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say she's. I mean, she's really pretty. Like I'm not saying like she's drop dead amazingly gorgeous, but she's she's certainly (laughs) way better looking than how they portray her as Gilly on the show. Nice. It's it's almost like I mean minus the incest thing the parallels between him and Craster like their attitude towards their their right. offspring yeah it's oh, like they're yeah. just nothing just you know it just Pieces. they're just here because I put them there kind of thing yeah um I'd say they're my number t- right yeah hmm. definitely they're just something for their pleasure only or to be bargained with to gain more favor in yeah. uh, Walder's like land livestock very clinical did you guys. For those who have read the books, do you remember the whole um, like Frey interpretation of what Walder did? I don't know if you. I know uh, Duncan wasn't there? All, not sure, actually. Like a argument amongst them up until that point, or something. Like the way that they're yeah, defending I, their father's actions or their grandfather. Yeah, I, I, I found it. <laughs> what did they say? Um, it's it's like a conversation between. Davos and a yes, random Frey. I just found this today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No he's uh, here. I'll just read it because it's it's pretty great. Um, so there's this Frey named Jared. <laughs> Jared the Frey. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the Red Wedding was the young wolf's work. He changed into a beast before our eyes and tore out the throat of my cousin Jingle Bell. Pretty weird name for your cousin. Oh yeah, he's kind <laughs> of um, a fool, sort of. <laughs> a harmless simpleton. He would have slain my lord fa- lord father, too, if Sir Wendell had not put himself in the way. And then Davos says, Is it your claim that Rob Stark killed Wendell Manderley? And then Jared says, And many more. Uh, mine own son, Titos, was amongst them, and my daughter's husband. When Stark changed into a wolf, his northmen did the same. The mark of the beast was, all on, the- was on all of them. Wargs birth uh, other wargs with a bite is well known. It was all my brothers and I could do to put them down before they slew us all. 
Wow, that's that Davos some... says. Yeah, it's pretty, hardcore propaganda. Pretty... And you know Davos, how Davos is. Yeah. So uh, Davos is. <laughs> yeah. His reply is, "Sir, may I have your name?" <laughs> and then Jared says, "Sir Jared of House Frey." Jared of House Frey, I name you a liar. Oh, that's <laughs> so that's just like a backslap, and you know, at that point, Davos is not really um, for Prominent. House Stark yet. Yeah. You know, yeah, at all. He's totally just... uh, House Baratheon at that point. Yeah, yeah. that's he crazy. does have to sniff through bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, definitely. That's why he doesn't trust the Red Woman either. You can tell yeah, I really wanted that in the show. The whole, the whole um, scene with White Harbor. Oh my god! And Did you tell me about Frey it? pies. <laughs> I don't want to get yeah. too far into it because we're not talking. about Wyman Manderly <laughs> is severely underused on the show, um, criminally. Oh, yeah, Sir, too fat to sit a horse, uh, or Lord, <laughs> too fat to sit a horse. <laughs> so this is the part where we all do the choir of, uh, you know, <laughs> reigns of Casimir, right? <laughs> or we could do the Bear and the Maiden Fair because that was playing during the betting. That's true. Was it? Oh yeah, that's oh, true. I yeah. was. didn't notice that. Oh man, it's perfect for that too. Like you know, it's all about like a bear pawing <laughs> over a girl and whatnot. Oh man, <laughs> okay. That 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 that's just another thing that solidifies Walter as just a creepy, <laughs> Sick dirty <fuck>. guy. Because <laughs> like that song is so raunchy. The only time you can't, the only times you can hear it are when it is sung by like a folk punk band or belched by a Molestown whore. Or played at a free <laughs> wedding. Totally. <laughs> How about uh, your number three, Johnny Boy? All right. So uh, my number two is so close two, yet two, so two, far sorry. away. No, it's fine. Uh, so close yet so far away. I put the theme and I got a couple bullets on it. I'll just run through real quick and we'll talk about them. Perfect. First one is at the beginning, you know, you see Rob is on his way to like total victory at this point. Like mm-hmm. it's looking like they're going to be able to defeat the Lannisters. They're going to get what they yeah, need. They're going to take Walder. Right. So like everything's at his grasp. And then you got uh, the other parallel, Arya looking over at the twins, um, you know, so close to finally reuniting with the family yet it's so far away and later even closer when the soldiers are all happily feasting right before uh they get slain like just inches just, like she uh, can reach out and touch yeah just inches soldiers. exactly bran and the tower so close to Jon snow like we talked about earlier and then uh again the even what i was talking about earlier the smile catlin was given uh taliza finally accepting rob's happiness yeah. like it's finally there like and then, uh, of course, the to me the the hound uh, saving Arya. You know, I mean, it's it's uh it's 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 just all looped into like so many so many things that have been built up to this moment that have been stretched out over that season. Conflict with you know uh, Catelyn and and uh, Rob. You know, his love choices. What are we gonna do about the phrase? Like all this stuff, just like rounding out, and it feels like it's gonna round out in the most memorable way possible in a good way. You know, so yeah, I guess totally. that's my number two. Nice. Yeah, we were really well written episode. Well directed too. David Nutter did a really good job on this one. Oh, is David Nutter? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he does some good ones for sure. That was good. What else did you do? I, I I don't remember, but I I know that I have a positive association with the name. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he does, he's done the main thing I remember from is Band of Brothers. Oh man, I, I mean, love that show. Yeah, and the Pacific. Yeah, he did both of those war movies, uh, war series, and he's done a lot of X Files stuff too over the years. Stellar cast in Band of Brothers. If you guys want um, uh, a good war show, definitely watch Band of Brothers. 
Um, yeah, apparently he's d- he's doing some of the Lost in Space series. I haven't watched any of that on Netflix. Oh, it's pretty good. All right. Well, that was my number two, so. Nice. You want to go ahead with your number uh, two, Travis? Um, sure. Uh, my my second one, I mean, it's kind of, kind of short. Um, I just really liked the scene with um, Sam and Gilly reaching the wall. Oh, nice. And it was Sam the wizard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just, particularly funny uh, because where does it, in, uh, when at Castle Black or something, somebody asks him, you know, he mentions in some context that when he was, when he was a little it, kid, he wanted to be a wizard. It was, uh, right. it was when John was like pouting about how he wanted to be a ranger. Oh, You're yeah. like a wizard. <laughs> You're like a wizard. <laughs> Um, Sam the Chick Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, it was just the kind of like the foreshadowing and showing, um, like how in depth Sam is, um, with books and reading and how foreign, or I guess how common non-readers are in this world. Because if you think about it, like in our in our world, pretty much everybody can read. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It that's, and, it triggers a realization at that moment in that yeah. scene where, like, just like how much knowledge is power, and how mm-hmm. you know how screwed you can be without that capability to store and share and catalog knowledge. And so it it's interesting. Makes to, you, you know take it for granted a little bit. Like, yeah, you realize you know, you've been taking like, it for granted for sure. Yeah, and um, yeah, and just the the little bit of foreshadowing. You know, she's like, you read all of that in a book, and then, um, yeah, and then you know, and later on in the series, here she is trying to tell uh, Sam about the secret marriage between um, Rhaegar and Lyanna, and oh right, you know, <laughs> she, she's actually reading, reading, um. You know, reading books and that's reading great. Those that's words. so so cool so that then, it, the situation like totally reverses. She like is ends up being empowered with like that capability, and that's mm-hmm. that's so cool. It's so funny too. She says, "You know all that from staring at marks on paper." <laughs> I want to be a wizard too. <laughs> yeah, like- I love when she called him a wizard because back I can't remember what episode it was. But Sam told John at Castle Black, he's like, well, I always wanted to be a wizard. Right. And the look yeah. on his face when Gilly said that yep. was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, Gilly said You're something Sam really liked. Talisa said something Rob really liked. John didn't really do something that he grit liked, though. <laughs> no, she was no. pissed. Did, did you guys <laughs> notice the, uh, the connection between Samwell and Dario Naharis in this episode? No, it's <laughs> just that they both have like this this wild secret knowledge that helps them bypass mm. a giant obstacle. Sam knows of the the secret oh, path under the night right. fort. Oh, right? and Dario good knows how to infiltrate connection. Young Kai. And yeah, two just You're talking like, about Dario one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Euro trash Dario <laughs> or Fabio <laughs> Naharis. <laughs> Fabio Naharis, I love him. Fabio <laughs> Naharis. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. Uh, oh, that's yeah. great. So yeah, I love that scene too. Um, great 
it's just you know society and people can be some come so crippled without that capability to catalog and store knowledge so it's just a really important moment and it is like a wizard like power really you know it's pretty badass just the capability of the mind is to uh, you know it's pretty cool and it kind of shows kind of like how imbalanced the power is how like the maesters sort of have this like they right. control all the information and they shape how everybody it, like sees things and like what the maesters are like Westerosi Illuminati, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like secret occult knowledge that they use to uh, manipulate the the world at large. <laughs> just, just in, like so, like when you think of like how much how much knowledge can just be lost when a civilization gets wiped out, and like how how many times like. Yeah. Things could have been invented and like all, all the things we don't know. Right. I've talked about this on the show before that like the most horrible, one of the most worst, like the worst instances in history is like the burning of the Library of Alexandria. And yeah. the show is like poised precariously with their yeah. own version of the Library of Alexandria, <laughs> which is the Citadel Library, right? So it's I have like, a bad feeling that something's bad is going to happen to the Citadel Library. If not on the show, then in the books. Yeah, definitely. Like, what, it's like right by the ocean or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good point. In the show, the first time we see the Citadel is the same time that the uh, Septon of Baylor blows up. So it's... <laughs> oh, <laughs> that oh, well. That's a good connection. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, that's crazy. So how about your uh, number two, Rachel? Lady Rachel. Okay. Okay, so my number two is actually the very first opening scene um, when they're showing the, I, I, I call them chess pieces, but they're not really chess pieces, but they're the pieces that go on the war maps. Right. And um, I noticed that the first two pieces shown are the lions for Lannister and the wolf for Stark, and I thought mm. that was... This is kind of like a foreshadowing thing. Ugh, um, and then they pan away, and behind the wolf pieces are the twin towers and the Bolton sigil between the twin towers. Um, and then the next shot of the board is the wolves surrounded by the lions. No way. And yeah. I loved, I loved that just, right. the show does such a great job with like, um, wordless visuals. Like when they melt ice, that whole first, you know, yep. opening of that two episode swords. when they melt ice. Yeah. Season four, and, episode two, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's just the little hidden meanings in the show. Like I, I wasn't even really quite paying attention. I mean, I was literally just sitting down on the couch and I just happened to look up. I mean, I know you know this, Duncan. I've watched the series like 30 times. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, when I do this rewatch for the podcast, like I do take notes and I do try to look at it with a, a new lens. But uh, I mean, like I've seen this episode like 30 times. So, <laughs> but I sat down and I looked at it and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Wait, the wolf is totally surrounded by the lion. So I rewound yeah, it and it watched. Yeah, I watched the first, um, the first part of it again, and I just thought that was super telling, a great foreshadow of the end of the episode. Yeah, these and guys tying, are real smart with that type of stuff. Yeah, show I mean, us, don't just, tell us type things. It's so great, and in tying into that same scene, I loved um, 
and I know Duncan with my Ravens calls and what we <laughs> talked about on the um, the episode that I guest hosted with you is um, like a mother's strength and a mother's intuition. And I loved how Rob went to his mom for advice. It's like we're always so defiant yeah. against our moms. We've all done it. You know, we know more than our mom. But then all of a sudden, like we need mom and we need her advice. And you pointed out too how when he like didn't oh. listen to her, everything went bad. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I loved I love that humility and that like being a little bit humble and saying like, Very "Look, I oh, man. screwed you." You know, I didn't listen to your advice. But um, okay, so I'm not like a psychotic feminist, but I am a woman, so I'm just gonna go with it and say <laughs> that. Um, George R.R. Martin has created a world and I love it because the women in this show are treated horribly, terribly. Mm -hmm. I think even the men out there can agree with me that the women are treated like utter shit on this show. It's hard to argue against that. I mean, in a lot of cases, for sure. But what is underlying with the whole story is it's the women that are surviving and it's the women that keep the men strong. And I love that gentle nod by George, George's writing that, you know, cause he gets a lot of criticism for the way he treats women in his series. And I can agree to that, but what maybe people aren't reading kind of between the lines is he's really giving us women a coup that we're kind of the ones that keep it all together. And so I just, this, this first scene kind of shows that like a king, a male king who everybody's looking up to is going to his mom for advice. And I just love that subtle dynamic. And it happens multiple times in the show where mother's strengths are highlighted, women's strengths are highlighted. And and it's it, a stark contrast between Rob and Joffrey as well, because Joffrey is sort of the opposite with his mom, and he's the psycho, you know. So telling us that the he, good guys, you know, like their moms. <laughs> completely, he's just—he's crazy. I mean, jo- I hate Joffrey, but I mean, like the women in the show, one true king. They—they they are treated terribly, but they rise to unbelievable strengths, like Sansa, Danny. I mean, I can go on and on about the powerful women in the show and I mean, you fast forward now to season seven and like Cersei's the queen. Danny is, she has three or well, two dragons now. Brienne's Sansa's, got Valerian steel. Yeah. Brienne has Valerian steel. Arya is like the best assassin you could ever have on your side. Sansa is lady of Winterfell. And so the tables are kind of turning. So I feel like this maybe is even kind of Cersei's queen point. as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I, it was just a great nod and a great coup to George R.R. R. Martin's writing where, you know, the women are treated horribly, but he gives us women total nods throughout his writing and throughout this series that, you know, the women keep it together in this show. They they tend to be the ones that survive. And and sadly, Kat does not survive this episode, but I found it very telling to George's, maybe his inner monologue with himself about women, that you have a king, a, a noble, honorable man turning to his mom for advice. 
So that's my number two. You know, um, I just this just occurred to me as you're talking about this because, um, like last episode, uh, Stannis gets like he like his instincts, his guts are telling him there's something is off, like there's just something isn't right, and so he immediately goes to like consult with his with his Jiminy Cricket Davos. And I feel like in this scene, too, I feel like it's like uh, Rob, I think it's like he senses, like his instincts are telling him, like, this is, this isn't right. Like, this isn't, like, it shouldn't work. And you, I noticed this, too, with the, the opening with the chess pieces, like, you can really just see, like, okay, yeah, if the Boltons and the Freys are actually on the Stark side, then they've got Casterly Rock pinned, but... If not, they are just in like the middle of just surrounded. Like, yeah, and I think like if anybody like if you're you know if you're not thinking if you're actually thinking like you know more like rationally, you know you should know Walter Frey isn't gonna. He's a coward. Like you know what kind of person he is. He doesn't really care about like the the traditions or the the sacred oaths or anything. He just what he can get away with and. uh like you know, he's he's also just a coward. And when you really look at that map, like they made those those chess pieces huge to kind of it really helps emphasize just how many Lannister lions are on the the east side. And like like you really think Walter Frey is just gonna be like in the middle of that pincher and like be the vanguard when the when the lions come after them, yeah, like the late Walter Frey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and even in that in in, in that scene. Pat goes if Walder Frey cooperates, and it's like they kind of know that he's a total wild card in the situation. He's mm-hmm. he's the swing vote basically. We're either yeah. gonna die or we're gonna go defeat C- Castle Rock, and it all depends on slimy, disgusting Walder Frey. <laughs> yeah. And and it's kind of like that whole that that illusion a mummer's trick kind of thing about power where like yeah like uh, there's just this perception of the lions the lannisters as just like powerful and the sellsword is gonna side with whoever has the gold the most power yeah or they you got know, the gold the, mines man well <laughs> yeah, they've, got the, they've got the illusions of, yeah, they got yeah, the yeah. illusion of uh exactly the gold mines yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yes, right. that was my number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. awesome. Nice. So, who's up? Yeah, Patrick, how about you, Sir Patrick of the Hindsight? Oh, man. Um, I think uh, for my number two, I'm, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to just go all out here. There's a... Uh, okay, so... Um, like Walder was saying about uh, Talissa, how, you know, you... When you take off those clothing, everything stays right in place, doesn't move an inch. But if she's actually uh, Rhaegar as a faceless man in disguise as a woman, then once you take off the the face magic glamour, then <laughs> nothing stays in place. Um, <laughs> Ed, <laughs> I have no idea what the hell you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. This is something I'm kicking around ever since I noticed that she mentioned that she likes to play the harp and recite Valyrian poetry. So you're just two characteristics of Rhaegar. So you're saying Rhaegar could have faked his death or 
or Ben, a faceless man, um, or, you know, left after he, everybody thought he died, became a faceless man. Now he's back as Talisa. Uh, okay, so so because uh, I I've reconciled this because so, uh, I'm like I'm pretty married to the idea that he's Jock and Hagar, but okay, so I think he was first Jock and Hagar, and in the show universe where Talisa exists because she's spoilers not in the books, yeah, um, yeah, he he uh, he then goes up and becomes Talisa. I don't I don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm not like fully committed to this, but I just find it too like amusing um not to mention fuck yeah there's there's so many things that i will start off just speculating upon as like kind of a joke about about like just tinfoil theories and but then like they just keep bearing fruit <laughs> and uh like okay. Rhaegar, there there's apparently in in the the the, the iliad uh like the um there yeah there's uh the whole there's Sorry. this there's this thing that, like, post-Homer, like, it's not in Homer's Iliad or Odyssey, but added to it by later people writing about it in, throughout antiquity and, and classical times. About where, the Trojan War? Yeah, where um, uh, uh, Achilles hides out um, among all these, these women uh, disguised as a woman and most playwrights uh like call for him to be played by a woman like on stage and there there's all these different versions of it but it's this like sort of this this uh classical fad for like exploring like this like Where gender the, the fluidity badass warrior is disguised as a woman and that would yeah. totally fit for the Rhaegar like hiding as a Talisa theory <laughs> yeah okay, i just want to throw out there all i heard from your theory was that you think that John's dad is sleeping with his brother. <laughs> so <laughs> I heard that Talissa okay. is Milan. <laughs> is Milan? <laughs> oh, Mulan. Uh, I gotcha. I want that, that, that's uh, that, great. that sauce, that Mulan sauce, Morty. <laughs> All right. So my number two is. Dario, <laughs> just in general, he uh, he's proving himself to be quite the badass over there um, in Yunkai. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, so he he has the cool idea, like I mentioned earlier, to sneak in and open the gates from within, like a sort of Trojan horse type thing. I mean, obviously it wasn't a gift how they got in, but he he infiltrates, you know, un, unseen, and opens the gates from inside, which is really cool. And he uh, he totally calls out Jorah on his bullshit, you know? Um, yeah. You know, so he Jorah's, like, thinking about all these ways Dario could be lying to them and manipulating them and getting them set up to be killed. And Dario's just like, you have a very suspicious mind. In my experience, only dishonest people think this way. <laughs> you know? And I was just yeah. like, dude, he totally called true. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he's kind of... He's still snitching on Danny, right? I mean, he's still... He hasn't been discovered as yeah, by Barristan. He hasn't been called out on it. I think it has stopped. Uh, I think maybe the last time was Quarth, Carth, Quarth, Carth or something. Quarth. I just said I just said Quarth. Uh, so uh, yeah, at this point, I think I don't think he's still spying on her actively, but I think that it you know was a thing. And if he was going to be like a, 
what is it, uh, Barristan, he says to Barristan, you know, if we're loyal to uh, the queen, if we're truly her loyal servants, we'll do whatever needs to be done, no matter the cost, no matter our pride. But it's, it's sad because at this point, you know, his sin still lurks beneath the surface. And the smartest thing he could have done was to say, fuck my pride, you know, and take a hit on it and confess and tell her, you know, because if when it comes out uh, by somebody else telling her, it just makes him look even more guilty and uh, yeah. bad news, you know? Yeah, I think she would have been like seriously pissed when if he told her. But, you know, once the the fire you know, kind of died down in her, her heart, she would appreciate his honesty and, you know, but at the same time, I doubt she would have trusted him the way she continues to do up until that point. And it may not have advanced her, herself as far as she became because Jorah was a huge, huge catalyst. That, right. Yeah, she was, uh, he was a huge catalyst in her she confidence could have lost in becoming faith in who she him was. And made different decisions that may not have Yeah, and maybe also know, lost faith in herself a little bit. Yeah. And maybe yeah, it slowed her slowed her progression to where she is now at the end of season seven. Right. It can be I her noticed everything. In in Karth, she's sort of like I think I think it's after she loses her dragons and she's sort of freaking out, and she's just kind of like, I, you know, I can't trust anybody. Where and are like, my dragons? Yeah, and like, he's just like, she's just like, Jorah, it's like, oh, what would I do without you? You're the only person I could trust. And oh. look on his face. And he's just kind of <laughs> like, you know, he, that was, you know, he had this opportunity to, to like come her. out, come clean yeah. there, but that would have been totally the wrong time because right then she needed him to be like, she needed, like he was she her needed rock, that rock at that point. Yeah. And, and so maybe that made him think like, oh, I just can't tell her because if she loses what she thinks is her rock, then she's just could be totally adrift, you know? Yeah. Maybe it was a Which intentional well strategic happened decision. Because I mean, back in Karth, she reminded me not not as like annoying as Sansa, but still like very childish. Like when she's screaming, like "Where are my dragons?" Like, <laughs> she's like wigging mm-hmm. out like a little kid, and not and the knights and the songs, like, and you know she's like they're yeah. they're sewing dragon banners in secret, like just like Sansa believes in. She's the, in pouting, the songs and she's. Knights. I mean, like I get it. She's wigging out because her children are missing, and I understand. I, I, I mean, being a mom, like I could only imagine if my son like disappeared, I'd probably be like freaking out. But, but you know, it. She was so. Um, immature in her growth, like as a, like as her storyline has progressed, she was so immature at that point that if he would have told her back then, I, I think it would have broken her, probably to the point where she may not have come full circle to where she is now. That's interesting. Or she would have killed him. Oh yeah, that's. Oh really? Too. I don't know. See, like now, even in like this where we are in the rewatch now yes but back in karth i'm not sure i think she was still unsure of her own confidence and her own abilities yeah i was speaking of like now because now she's got bears and sell me where he can chip on the side of did you see what he just said you know i mean in that scene like you just brought up duncan uh, dario does this quip just like bam you know right at him and he doesn't do anything back because it's it's guilt. He's like, I mean, uh. he's usually he's always full of wisdom, and he doesn't do anything. It's just like, 
What do you think, Grey? You know, they just turned to Grey Worm, and deflect, he says he deflect. trusts them. <laughs> oh man! Right, exactly. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, something I noticed about this scene is okay. So she, so um, when Dario says, "And I will just, I will need your two best men," and right there, um, Jora like looks over at Grey Worm, and then when he says his thing, he's like, "So you would, and so possibly you're just leading me and Grey Worm into a trap, right?" And then this whole time, it's like. Dude, Barristan the Bold is right next to you, and like it's like his first thought. Like he, he, you know, as soon as he said your two best men, it's like, well, that's obviously me and Grey Worm. But you're with Batman, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and like there, there's this. It's kind of cute how like Barristan's just like, oh, can I come too? And he's like, no, you gotta <laughs> stay here and look after the Queen. Like that's your duty. Yeah. Like, oh, come on, this is my thing. I'm <laughs> yeah. Batman. I'm Batman. I infiltrate in stealth and you know, emerge yeah. su- successfully. That is his thing. Literally. It's totally Barristan's thing. Yeah, and I think that like there's this sort of like unspoken rivalry with Barristan and Jorah. Like, it, it, it's kind of adorable, but it, it's also it's kind of like um. Trying to one up each other like every every way, like two brothers or something. Yeah, so it's like it's kind of like uh, when 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 Barristan finds out about Jora, you know, he he's, he's an honorable man and all that, and he goes by the book and everything. But he sort of you, it's still like you he, know, he uh, weighs using, the decision whether or not to, to like mention it to see if he's loyal or something. You think? It, it's like um, it, it's sort of like he's going by the book. But everybody kind of goes by the the book according to like what suits them in a way, right. almost in yeah. Um, uh, the other the other the other quick little little tiny tin foil, if I could just you know. Be I need to start tallying how many times Sir Patrick says tin foil. Dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> how many times I've restrained myself from just launching into a, a heap of it. Um, but like, just okay. The fact that they're asking Grey Worm, like, what does he think, um, and that he's making decisions, indicates that he has autonomy, which is something that is completely bred out of the Unsullied. Right. But she mm. didn't just take all of the Unsullied. She also took the ones that are in training. And um, long story short, I think he still has his junk. Because I, I think Grey that, uh, yeah, because he still, they chose him to be their leader because he hadn't been completely like indoctrinated yet. So he still had a level of autonomy so that he could make decisions in battle, which is the one thing that the Unsullied can't do is that if they don't have somebody to tell them what to do, they'll just, they, they don't. They'll just stand there and get cut down or whatever. So they could be like specific leaders that aren't cut potentially. I don't think that the untrained were part of that group though. There was eight thousand of those unsullied that were for sale, and then there was like two thousand other were others or something that uh were only partially trained, but they weren't we never saw them at least uh, there. So I Grey Worm was not one of the untrained ones. Well we don't know that though. We 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 make assumptions. We assume that the they're gonna choose their oh, best wait. guy. Because when when they called when they brought Grey Worm forward, it was all it was after they had coalesced the entire army, right? So it, I yeah. guess it could have been, yeah, he mm. could have been and, one of the partially trained. Interesting. And if you see how big, like how jacked the the Unsullied look when you first meet them, like when you 
brings him out, and then like Grey Worm is not a big dude. Like he he's pretty small. Like um, part of that could be from the lo- lack of testosterone, though, after being cut. Um, but I yeah, think but we have yeah. like a pretty good. It's been pretty uh, pretty you know definitively shown that he's been cut one way or the other on the show, right? Do you oh. think, though, that the Unsullied would have chosen Grey Worm as their leader if he was just, like, one of the half-trained guys? Like, don't you think... Because Danny had them, the Unsullied, choose a leader. Right. Exactly. She didn't, she didn't choose leaders, so, like, why would they choose so a half-trained really boy? Because he hasn't been completely turned into a robot like brainwashed. yet. So he he has the ability to make decisions and and be decisive. Whereas once you're completely indoctrinated into the Unsullied, you're you just don't even a, have those thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I follow. You're you. an yeah. automaton. It's a good I get theory. It. Yeah. It's a good theory. But I think that uh, like part of the whole like Masande Grey Worm love line love uh, like you know love thing that yeah. happened in the last season was the fact that they like figured out how to make it work, even though he didn't like have something you know <laughs> like i well that's that's the way that's what they that's what they've you know telecast to us to like right. make it look that way but things aren't always what they seem and you know when maybe he when, has his pillar and just not the stem or wait <laughs> or <yeah>. the stones <laughs> i mean when he's watching her while he's in the water and he's like slings underwater he is like yeah they're that's like that's the look of yeah, a guy that's like trying to hide. He's hiding something, something underwater. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to sub- keep his log submerged. Um, uh, <laughs> but when Danny asks, when Danny asks Misandi what happened, and she says many things, and she's like many things. Ooh. Anyway, it's just it's just a, it's just a little bit of tinfoil, but I. <laughs> I find that it adds to the story for it. me to think I of it that it. way. So, I love yeah. it, Pat. Thank you. Yeah, so in that part. same scene, um, Duncan, I noticed like when Grey Worm and Jorah and Fabio Nahar <laughs> were, all, <laughs> were all fighting um, the soldiers, I thought That's it was really cool how, yeah, like how you could tell like, Grey Worm's fighting style was so precise and, like, you could just tell it was, tr- like... Honed. Just, just honed, it, like, just beat into his body. And Dario was so, like, fluid and smooth. And then you had Jorah, which was, like, the traditional Westerosi knight. Like, hack and slash. The, the hack and slash. And I just love that very quick... Vi- again, like, a quick visual with no words, no dialogue of the differences in Danny's army and like all the people that she's kind of brought together to support her claim to the throne. Like those coexist bumper stickers. That's interesting. So anybody else got anything to uh, add to the Dario stuff? I, I like how he, he like, he does his like mad Mardigan type thing where he's like, Oh yeah, we got this in the bag, and then like the shit hits the fan. He's like, "Whoops, underestimated it," but then he still like, <laughs> comes out alive because he's it just, out. yeah, he's just like a he's a badass, and then, then go. But yeah, I, I noticed there's this pattern of Dario like underestimating the odds. That's but, funny. Yeah. There's a couple instances in this episode where uh, you know, like 
they're totally surrounded with that, that that Dario scene, right? And then there's part, the other part with Tormund Giant's Bane where he's he says to kill the guy, and John says, no, let him get away. Uh, just take the horses. They'll send a couple guys for a horse thief, you know, but they'll send more guys for murderers, right? And mm-hmm. Tormund's like, so let them send them all, you know. That's how we kill crows, not when they're hiding in their castles, but when they're out in the fields, you know, that's what we do. And it made me think yeah. of this uh, this quote, by uh, Marine Corps General uh, Chesty Puller. And it's, it's something like somebody says, Sir, we're surrounded. And it's like, excellent. And we can attack in any direction. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. That just it popped up in my head a couple times this episode. I thought that was pretty good. But yeah, that wraps up my number two. How about your uh, numero got- uno, Johnny? Are you, you got something else to say? No, yeah, I got a couple final thoughts on Dario. Like, sure. I, I feel like I may be in the only one in the boat of liking him because I've never been able to get into the recast of Dario. Like, oh all. yeah, yeah, I like I know Fabio most people. Norris. Most people are the opposite. I talk to. It's like he just looks like an accountant with a scruffy beard. He just doesn't strike me as. He's I mean, not that Dario line that, Naharis. That's a, well, the line that Dario delivers in this, like. You know, a man can't make love to his property. I just yeah, feel like the new Dario one could. That. I just can't see him delivering that same damn line with the look. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's uh, the other yeah. thing I wanted to mention. The city that. is Great yours, line. my queen. Right. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you, Johnny. I. I mean, don't get me wrong. The new Dario Naharis is super hot, but I, I know from just book spoilers that I've come across, like. The Dario Naharis in the books is supposed to have like a purple, purple hair, beard, forked beard, yeah. like, the general- like kind of funky looking. And I, I feel like, and you know, I'm not to that point in the story in the novels, but if I'm to go off the the little that I do that I have found out on the internet about Dario Naharis in the novel, <laughs> is the first Dario fits his character a little bit better because he's supposed Absolutely. to be quirky. Yeah, I agree. Um, yep. And not like your traditional, like handsome. And I mean, this the 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 Dario in this episode is. I mean, he's not ugly, but I mean, he's not your traditional handsome, and he's quirky. And I I was actually surprised that they recast him based off what I know about the novel. I was confused. I mean, I I have never binged the show except for the first season. So it wasn't like I watched it all at once. Like, hey, what happened to that one guy? What's his name? So when I was ready for the that Dario scene to come back, and it was we meet him again, and he's this new actor that's just so again like this traditional good-looking guy that just kind of disappears in the background because he looks like every dark-haired, good-looking guy. Where this other guy was quirky and like Fabio-looking, like out. he was just he, yeah. he seemed he like yeah, out. like a loud character. And he's his got teeth, like a swagger like, to him. And yeah. he had funky teeth, and he, exactly. I, I mean, like, and the it's way like he an talked, Essos guy. <laughs> yeah, the way he talked was a little bit mysterious, and I mean, I like the new Dario. I think if they would have went from with him from the beginning, it would have, have been such a shocker. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah, but definitely. I I, but I, was I like, actually liked this Dario better for the character of of what he was supposed to be in the novels. I just yep, wanted I to see too. this goofy guy go from someone handing some severed heads to this what he becomes in the in the in the well I mean not, no book spoilers but you know I just wanted to see him become more like evolved with Danny's vision and 
influence because where yeah, we're at right now, he he's rough in. around the edges. Yeah, he's rough around the edges. He's not plugged into how everything works yet, but or plugged into Daenerys yet. But <laughs> once we get there, once we get there, I was hoping we get to see this guy mature and evolve with that, like with all these different things that we're gonna have to see her face still in Essos. And when this other guy came in, it was like, yeah, casting guys were like. No, this dude here will fit where the Stario is going. And he does. I'm not knocking that on the new one. I just really wanted to see this actor get a chance to evolve with this character like he does in the books. And I guess that's that's just where I was at. Rewatching it, because, you know, I don't I've not done a, an actual rewatch except for when you started uh doing uh the rewatch, Duncan. So oh, there was killer. like years between when I originally saw like this episode and now. And when I was rewatching it, I was just like, why the hell did we get rid of this guy? <laughs> I totally agree. And coming from someone who's watched. So I know I've told Duncan this, but I, when my son was super little and he was waking up like every two hours as a newborn, I would put on Game of Thrones on my laptop in his nursery. So I watched the show like over and over and over again. And I still to this day agree with you. I I don't dislike new Dario, but I liked this Dario better for the role of Dario. Yeah, he's more. It just felt like a soap opera recasting to me. Like, like, oh, today's episode's being played by. (laughs) (laughs) Just like throw a totally different guy in there. I felt like the show was giving into like peer pressure. Like they were giving into peer pressure. Like, oh, mainstream women aren't going to find this guy like attractive because he's not your typical hunk. Well, and I kind of disagree with that. I find him attractive in a quirky way. I uh, I actually heard something that uh, I have yet to to confirm for sure, but uh, I've heard from a pretty reliable source that Germ said. Danny has a type, and you know it's it's facial hair, it's uh, it's dark hair, and it's basically you know it's tall. Oh, got you. It's, yeah, no, yeah she you likes can tall transition guys, from. But, yeah, uh, that's yeah. that makes sense because with that Dario, you wouldn't have that like transition of going from yeah Drogo to Jon Snow. To so he, by recasting him, it makes it flow. I, I get that. That that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I still and, uh, like the other guy. Speaking and, and, and yeah. speaking to the point about you know wanting to see this character mature. I mean, I, I haven't met him in the book, so I don't I don't know like if he's got like this this whole um, like growth arc or whatever. But it seems like in the show when she decides to leave him behind, it's sort of like a a, a sign like a rite of passage almost where she's she's grown beyond him and he's sort of stuck. You know, right. he'll, he'll he always is what be... he is. He's a sell sword. You know, like he's a, mm. a yeah, wild guy. But like yeah, bringing he... it back, bringing it back there though. I mean, it, the the current Dario saying, "Don't leave, I love you." If he was to like get down on his knees and beg, right. it, just, it would seem it would seem completely in character. This guy here, it would seem like he would just like come here for a second. Let me whisper in your ear, and you'll stay here <laughs> with me or take me with you. Yeah, you know, he just got—he's got that charm that the new one just doesn't have, like that swagger. Got a quirky swag, yeah, it's yep. a swag. Yeah, and he <laughs> seems kind of dangerous. Like he's got that, like mysterious. We can <laughs> I blame just... Jason Statham for his <laughs> for his leaving the series because he, he's you know, like Jason Fabio. Statham left the Transporter movies, and then this guy left Game of Thrones to go to the Transporter movies. So damn you, Jason. Oh, that's Statham. right. That's right. 
Um, he was also this guy was the bad guy Francis, I think, in Deadpool. Was he really? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, that's just right. With short hair. Oh yep. yeah. Yeah. Francis, that's right. <laughs> Francis. 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 Look, I've got like just like two more things about Dario and then I'll shut up. Um, uh, um never mind, I forgot. Uh, oh yeah, okay, so last last episode, um I I noticed for the first time the these odd parallels between um, Dario and Jockin, I'm not going to go into this thing where I think he's a faceless man, but I just think it, there's this, you know, the, the symmetry or the, the, the rhyme of it where when like Arya meets Jockin or Danny meets Dario, they're both with these like, these uncouth, like crass guys who are constantly making like jokes about sexual oh, assault. parallels. Yeah. The groups of yeah. three, you know, one guy yeah. who connects with them. The other two are like assholes that are accompanying mm-hmm. him. Yeah, and the one guy just kind of like, he's got this look in his eye where he's like, you know, it seems like he's more civilized yet somehow creepier, like seems like dangerous and like he's like listening, he's polite, and then he's really focused and smart. Yeah, Yeah. and then I just kind of, you know, it's it's interesting because I know this couldn't have been like planned or could it, but you know, then changes faces on us all right. of a sudden like whoa there's a good theory that, uh, <laughs> there's a good theory that uh euron Greyjoy is dario naharis as well i think whoa. that like the timelines and the books or something kind of like line up where neither of them are anywhere near the same place at the same time you know type of thing i don't know i can't remember exactly whoa um, but he's like oh, you know, that's crazy that'd be kind of cool my last thing uh just uh when when um Jorah when Jorah comes back from that whole thing, and Danny gets this look on her face and says, "And what about Dario Naharis?" And then Jorah oh, looks yeah. like he, his heart is just sunk, and it, it, I it made look, that note. Yeah, it looks like yeah, it looks like he's a. It, it's kind of like a fake out because it looks like he's about he's to tell her the heartbreaking dead. truth that he died. But it's no, his, his face just sunk and he was crushed because. She he oh, sees she cares her. more about her and him. He sees that yeah, look in her eyes. He uh, loves her, but she sees he's old. <laughs> old eyes. Aww. Yeah. And but it's Good also point. kinda like I don't know, he sees the same look in her eyes about John and he's more on board with it because it, it kinda shows like he approves of her getting with like a guy who's like you know of that if you're gonna get with a younger guy, get with a guy who's not a shithead like yeah, totally. I mean, he's from the north too. I mean, he's from Bear Island, north. so and he knows the Starks, and he knows that, you know, technically from Jorah's perspective, even though we know differently that he's Ned Stark's bastard son. That you know, there's he's an honorable man um, yeah. versus Dario, who's essentially a sell. I mean, he's a sellsword. He sells his sword <laughs> and he's got he, he lives for two purposes and it's to you know to to have make love to a woman who wants to make love to him and to kill men who want to kill him and it, it doesn't really get much deeper than that he doesn't really have um much of a higher like value than that like definitely not at this point but i think the dario naharis that danny leaves behind to go to westeros does love her um, cause he's like, I don't care. I don't care if I'm your, I don't know what the male term for mistress is, but that's essentially what it is. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I just want to be with you. I, 
like what comes after you. And I truly believe that he loves her at that point. But I totally agree with you in this moment. He's for exactly what you said. Those two purposes yeah, he doesn't to kill people who want to kill him it. and to have sex with people who want to have sex with him. Right. Do you think Dario is going to be with uh, Cersei next season? Dario? Oh my god. That'd be hilarious. Okay, so Like he comes he over was... with the Golden Company? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, that would be So nuts. I have a question about that, because in season 7, when <laughs> Danny is talking to Tyrion at Dragonstone by the fire, and she's talking about courage, she's listing off all these people that were courageous that had died, and she lists Dario in that list. And I can't figure out if he died and well, she's no. like referencing that or if she's just referencing that he was courageous she, it, she's talking about courage you know brave men and how like brave heroic men do stupid things and then they die and, <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I know guess. but all the other men that she listed were dead, dead. except Dario. Yeah, he's he's so, not dead, so it must have just been referencing okay. his, dead, his okay. reckless behavior. Okay, because I was like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. That's the last I mean, thing it's only totally a matter alive. of time. I mean, he, and he kind of acts like yeah, a guy Yeah, that's who probably knows. what she thinks, too. It's just a matter like, of time. It's and, you know, okay, okay. I thought I was, like, missing something. Like, did he die in the books? Is he still alive? Like, where am I? It was just oh. a weird reference because every other guy she lists on that list is, is dead. So, Oh, yeah, we're not going to tell you if he lives though. in the books. <laughs> I think it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's kind of like where how like you know she sees him, you know, like in the, that way that she's kind of grown past him, like where it's like, well, it's only a matter of time, and he just wants to kill as many dudes as possible and ride the dragon as many times as possible. <laughs> he dies, you know, and you know, gro- being raised a gladiator, that's like all he's really known is just like the glory of battle and women until. It's your time, you know. He's an adrenaline uh, junkie for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Got it. Okay. Because I thought I was like totally missing something because I rewound it. I was like, she totally just said Dario and all the other guys she listed are dead. Like, does is that, am I supposed to read further into that? I guess is what my mind was. Yeah, I doubt it. She's just got at. Dario on the brain. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? <laughs> she's like, oh, wait. No, she's just like, oh, is he still alive? Oh, whatever, you know. He <laughs> yeah. did. You got it, got it. Okay, cool. Maybe she was talking about Fabio. <laughs> oh, Fabio since we got a new one. Oh, yeah, because he's dead. <laughs> that that, that Dario is dead. Yeah. All right, Johnny, your number one. My number one is the Hound saving Arya. All right. All right. So now, again, I don't. Has any of you? Did any of you guys watch this? Like when it aired? Am yeah. I the only one? I didn't. Okay. No, I hadn't okay. caught up at this point. Okay. So when it aired live. There was like this six or five day window, and I don't I don't know if this happened for you, man, but I went back to work and a lot of people, and it became an internet rumor too, were under the impression that the hound killed Arya because some of you had already died. And you gotta realize, I mean, he hits her pretty damn hard and knocks her out. And that's that's true. You get, he doesn't deliver any dialogue like, I'm gonna save you, girl, or you know, he just like you know, <laughs> he said, I mean it's he over. just it's over. It's over. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just bam hits her. So there was like this stigma for all of only four Bird. or five days before it was dispelled by the end of the season. That's great. Right, of oh my god, we lost Arya, we lost Catelyn, we lost all in the same episode. <laughs> like, we lost everybody but Sansa. I think I think um, that's intentional because they he sort of he ends a chapter like that in the books too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So then you're left yep. wondering if she's dead. Yep. Uh, it's it's great. 
so the internet was running around, you know, basically, but I never, I didn't, I didn't catch that vibe like that. Like, so I was defending it for like four or five days. Like, no, man. I mean, right there, she walks up to him earlier in the episode and says, you know, someday I'm going to put a sword through your eye and out the back of your skull. You know, at that point, (laughs) you're the hell in your eye. Reach up if you had the plans to. You know, to just knock her out, knock her out, carry over there. Oh, look, the Boltons are taking over this thing with the phrase. Oh, here, check this out. It's passed out and ready for y'all guys. I mean, I just, I did, I've never, I never got that rumor, but it got huge in just a small amount of time. So That's I thought so I'd bring funny. it back up there on the show. It's like five years later, but hilarious. <laughs> I never, yeah, I didn't know about that. When I watched it live, there was um, kind of like what you're saying. There was that whole like, is she alive? Is she dead? There was a few people that were thinking that maybe he was going to, um, since the, the whole red wedding was happening and, you know, in the process that maybe he was going to turn her over to, um, redeem himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Turn her over there or, you know, it was just, there, I, I do remember with what you're saying, there was a little bit of speculation as to what was actually happening. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I mean, it's, it's such, it's probably, I mean, she sits there and again, I don't go, we don't want to go into any book spoilers, but like, uh, it's not a huge spoiler, but in in the book, the, the dire wolf's not in a cage. That was um, one of like, my main notes. Oh, um, okay. Sorry. Yeah. It was kind of and leading into my number one. <laughs> so, so you see Arya, well, that's as far as I'll go with it. So you see Arya's, see it's, you know, face there at the bottom of the door is what we see in the, in the, in the TV show. And mm-hmm. all this sadness just sets in, and I, it was, I always just saw it as like this. What it's supposed to be, a symbolic rescue. I mean, here's this monster, you know, saving this little girl in this horrible ass environment and getting her out of there. Right. And I mean, even though again, it doesn't cut to any dialogue confirming that, or doesn't show him walking across the bridge with her later. I always assumed that, and I just love how it builds upon what we're gonna get over season four with them right. so it's uh yeah it's definitely my my number one i mean and that that's in an episode with a gret so that's pretty good for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> while, we're, while we're chatting about it you i mean we could just mention the the gray wind note that i wrote down <laughs> okay um yeah just adding on to what you're talking about the the whole scene with gray wind and how the the phrase just walked up and just kind of shot him in the cage weak I felt that that scene was like I think that they were the the showrunners were trying to symbolize um, pretty much what happened to Rob. He was locked up in the the chamber. Um, yeah, yeah, he was locked up in the chamber and shooting guys with you crossbows know, at a downward angle. Yeah, and just like instant instant killed pretty much. But I must say that scene. I mean the the sim symbology there is amazing like that the showrunners would you know add such small details there however that scene i hated that scene <laughs> oh yeah oh, um, i can't even watch it I it's even so watch hard it. and not because Greywind dies but because the book scene is is way better good um, it's really good it's so cool like i mean aria she it's aria right who does it i think i think so I think, um, yeah, I think it's Arya. She lets lets him out, and he just starts daring phrase left and right. Oh, yeah, he goes down with the fight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so he still and dies, it, but he I mean, didn't just get put like down like, like he does in the duck. show. 
Yeah, right. No, it's like he, right. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that the show was criticized for trapping him there. I think. Like, well, sounds like a budgetary concern. Yeah, definitely saving money. Mm-hmm. But it was also a symbology thing, you know. I think he. I think Travis nailed it. I think it's to Parallel symbolize Rob. Rob, and you know, like. Rob kind of died very slowly. Like he was shot a few times and then mm-hmm. he was stabbed by Bruce Bolton and he said, mom and fell to the ground. And, you know, the same thing kind of happened to gray wind. And honestly, I haven't been able to watch that scene since the first time I watched that scene, but I still remember it vividly. Like they point the arrows down, they shoot him. And then under the door, the door, the his eyes. eyes are still open and then they kind Aria. of close. Aria, Aria watches them close. Yeah, it's really yeah and yeah. I, I still can't watch that scene. And actually, you know what's so funny is my husband had to convince me to watch Game of Thrones with him. I was like opposed. <laughs> I was completely opposed to this show. I was like, not for me. It's mythical. I don't really give a fuck about this type of show. And mm-hmm. when Lady died, I looked at him. I was like, I am done. <laughs> I'm not watching this show yeah, anymore. That was rough. Oh, and was here rough. I am podcasting about the show. So right. obviously my tune has changed, but this it, is the next direwolf death after Lady Gray too, Wind. Mm-hmm. Gray Wind was worse for me because that um his the eye closing. I've never been able to watch that again. Right. I just like look away. I pretend like I'm not watching or I fast forward. <laughs> yeah, after the episode I just went outside and hugged my so beautiful by the way thanks so gorgeous yeah yes yeah. what's he 95 percent maybe wolf? they'd be yeah he's about he's like 80 85 somewhere around there travis i went to oregon state so i mm-hmm. lived in corvallis for seven years and i worked oh. at a little pet supply store called animal crackers and yeah. there was a lady that would always bring her wolf dog into the store this wolf that she would bring in he was like 90% wolf and you could completely tell and he was like 100 yeah he was like 120 pounds he was huge yeah um I started off with low content wolf dogs and then I worked my way up to um gray wind which is like a real like a He's mid, pretty upper much mid high yeah. um you know when I first got my first low content you know I thought that uh ghost was hot was a high content and now that I've done more research and I actually own a real high content, it's like, whoa, Ghost is like low content. Because <laughs> she, um, she would bring him into the store and like she would instruct us on like how, basically how to behave around her mm-hmm. wolf. Because she wouldn't even call it a dog. It was He was a wolf and you looked at his eyes and you were like looking into the most primal being you've ever seen in your life. It's hard to you know, in, in, in a retail store. <laughs> right. Cool, man. It's like kind of the over, overpowering. <laughs> but back to, to gray wind. Um, have you guys heard the whole, this whole uh, theory about how each wolf's name kind of predicts the personality and the fate of the Stark that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Them? I've read about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, Grey Wind, um, I, I, I was mulling this over and I kind of realized that, you know, uh, Germ likes to throw in all these uh, classic rock references and, like, allusions and shout-outs and things mm-hmm. in his stuff. Um, so, uh, like Heartsbane. 
<laughs> um, like uh, Dust in the Wind by Kansas, that song about how everything is just going to turn So great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dust in the Wind, Grey Wind. Mm. If you guys know that song, it's a really depressing, sad song. Yeah. <laughs> everything is completely futile, and in the end, we all just die. And just like die. Rob. That's funny. Yeah. I think I, I think I mentioned that on a previous... Duncan didn't... Maybe it was like a Still Smug book talk or something a while, like a while something ago that like we that. did where we covered the, the wolf names and yeah, like yeah, shaggy, yeah. shaggy Dog represents, you know, the wild, wild side man, of like Recon. Or, or oh, man. Oh, okay, I was yelling at you while I was listening to that because I was like, wait, <laughs> it's also a Shaggy Dog story is a, a, a literary, it's a, it's a thing, it's like a, a long drawn out story that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it's all about the telling of the story, but in the end, a it's just like, wah, wah, and then it doesn't really, you know, expecting some, like, great, like, finish, and then it's just like, and then he died. The end. Yeah. <laughs> and then Summer dies, and then that symbols Summer ending, you know. And, right, oh, the man. end of Summer. Um, mm-hmm. But does it also mean that Bran will bring about Summer? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> did you uh did you finish your number one johnny i did all right rachel how about your number one okay so my general number one sadly was like the entire red wedding scene all and right. i know that's like really broad and i figured it was probably a few of yours um number ones as well so i i wanted to focus just again on like kind of the the motherly nature that kind of it always pops up in the show for me and maybe it was because when I first started watching Game of Thrones um you know my husband and I were talking about having a baby and then I was pregnant while watching the show and then I had the baby while watching the show and then I watched the show like (laughs) a crackhead and I had my baby, so I maybe just picked up on it more from a mother's intuition. But um, it, so I'll kind of narrow down my number one from the overall theme of the Red Wedding to when Talessa got stabbed. And I know that's a terrible number one because it's not really a favorite, clearly, but it's a. That's the first was, piece of action that like really sets like, yeah, a, you know, that's. It, I enjoyed the shit out of that scene. Yeah, that's it, for like ultimate shock effect. Total shock value. And I think for me when I watched it, it was just so horrifying because the Frey guy, I don't even know his name, the Frey guy, he went straight for her for the stomach. Baby, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, I bet it people threw up watching that, honestly. Yeah, it wasn't like he, he had to be instructed throat. for that though. Yeah, it, it's like he didn't slit her throat. He didn't stab her in the heart. He like Nothing. stabbed her like 10 times in the stomach. And then didn't even do anything to put her out of the misery. Just let her to sit there exactly. and like revel and, or not, you know, opposite revel, like uh, just, you know, be crushed in the weight of what just happened. Well, in her face, like it was, she played it so well. I don't know the actress's name that plays her, but like she immediately like... I mean, clearly grabs her stomach, but the look on her face wasn't like pain for herself, but it was like pain for her baby. And um, 
you know, fast forwarding through the Red Wedding, like she's laying on the floor, like bleeding out because being stabbed in the stomach is probably one of the worst ways to die because it's very slow and it's extremely painful. And you can just see her. She's like rubbing her stomach. The rest like, of her is let go. But the one thing that's still holding on is her hand holding on her on, stomach. Yeah. And I just felt like it's yeah. really heartbreaking, especially when I first watched it, like, you know, and watched it as a mom, you know, just it, the bond you have with your unborn child is kind of a weird one because you don't know your child you don't have like an image of them you don't have their personality you don't have the way they sound but you have a protective instinct around you right. like you're constantly thinking about ways to protect yourself to protect your baby and so it was just a really heartbreaking moment for me um you know being a fairly new mom watching it again and so she she really played it well like it was so tragic and i just felt like it really kind of encompassed kind of what the red wedding was about was to end the stark line like not just kill rob but kill his offspring to kill his heir yeah. and that's really what it was targeted at it wasn't to kill his wife it was to kill the baby. And that's like a real turn to the dark side too. It's like the the end of innocence, you could say, and it's symbolized by that, you know, snuffing out that pure, that symbol of pure innocence, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I, I mean, it's a terrible number one, but I mean, this is a pretty terrible episode. Like, I know there are kind of funny moments and there are other great scenes, but what you're left with is just utter you know horror sadness and horror yeah. and this was well, the, the start of that i mean she was the first victim the baby was the first the victim it was wasn't the first her victim. the baby was the victim and it was right. just really i think that's what sent me into the biggest shock and then everything else was going on and i was still trying to like process like he didn't even like try to kill her. I mean, she suffered for a right. long time because that scene went on for like 10 minutes and she yeah. was alive the whole time, like bleeding it's out. It's horrifying. It's fucking horrifying. It was horrible. Yeah. Well, so, well, even. I'm sorry. No, uh, I was just going to say John. that was kind of like my number one. Well, even with like as much as all these, you know, Walder quotes we did earlier, how goofy and funny he was. The only moment of horror, like on his face for a moment, or confusion, is right when that happens. Right when they Ugh. it guts the baby, you, they actually pan over to Walder's reaction, and he's not grinning in that moment. He just looks around, like, "Did anybody else see this?" Oh my god! And then it finally starts sinking in. Like <laughs> once all the other bannermen start getting, you know, shot and stabbed and crossbowed, then he starts kind of grinning. But in that initial shock, even Walder Frey's like, "Oh shit." Uh, like yeah, wow. this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> they could have uh, ended Rob Stark's the Stark's legacy by just like slitting her throat because clearly a fetus is not going to survive without a living mother. But the fact that they symbolically like went for the baby and let her suffer and watched her like go through that protection mode of like I'm going to survive as long as possible to try to like salvage. You know, my child's life is 
like as a mom and as a parent, I mean, it was it, even now, like my son will be two in July. Even now it was like, um, I could barely watch. It was just like, Oh my God, I can't like, it gives, I'm seriously sitting here with goosebumps on my arm. Like yeah. I don't even know what I would do in that moment. Yeah, it was seriously. just horrible. So, I mean, sadly, super, super that's extreme. my number one, but you know, it's a terrible number one, but it was the most impactful moment for yeah. me of the entire red wedding one of the most impactful moments of the series honestly just that one moment and it ties into just mom grief i mean there's a ton of that in that scene i mean when right after all that happens and it cuts to catlin like rob just go leave you know like right. my wife was all curled up in tears <laughs> oh my god oh god the whole the whole mom vibe yeah because you can just i mean my son's 10 years old and i just imagine like in that moment like Oh my God, how, you know, even as a father and then Amy, my wife, we were watching it during the rewatch last week and we watched it again, I think the night before last and both times, like you just start tearing up, you see all the desperation in eyes because in that moment you can do nothing to save your oldest son, your firstborn uh, and all. It's just, oh, it's so much mom grief in one episode. <laughs> yeah, one so and she, like that cry at the end when she dies, it's like that key, like the keening cry. It's like beyond it's beyond control and it's so like primal and at the I, I I don't know the name of the actress that plays Cat, but she was just incredible. Yep. She was incredible in that moment of just like and, you know, because Kat doesn't strike you as a character that, like, would kill, period, or right. kills easily. And she slits that still girl's does it. throat, like, fuck all of you. Like, and that would be me, kind of. <laughs> yeah. She but, no longer you know, needed her as leverage, and Eddie, she didn't have to follow through on the threat, but she and did. And she was completely innocent. I mean, she, that girl was a complete innocent in that moment in that time like and cat felt for her like i think it was the episode or two before when walter like smacks her on the butt and cat just kind of like gives her that look like right. you pitiful child i'm so sorry and then you know fast forward to this scene she's like slitting her throat it's because like the rage she's feeling and the desperation and just the loss because she doesn't strike me as someone that would kill at all, let alone. She, uh, she expresses that that feeling you're talking about even further in the books. I'm not going to say uh, exactly how, but <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like yeah. she she does okay, something yeah. physically to herself. I will say uh, that like amps up that moment and shows you just the kind of grief that she's feeling. Oh man. Um. Yeah. So I mean, it was just like the 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 attack on the on the on the children i'll just dub them all children because rob i think yeah. even, even in the novels he's like what like 14 something like I mean, that or like 15 i mean he's not they I they mean, stooped like to gregor clegane levels here not only did they violate guest right but they're killing little babies you know yeah like they're killing Gregor's, children you know Shame. i mean for Shame. for a and and I get it, you know, Rob is leading the rebellion, um, you know, from the north, and he's, Shame. while he's a child, he's, a, you know, a king, and he's leading a war, but, you know, I guess to, you know, to, to narrow down my number one, it's like the, the mother's 
strength in a mother's grief um, and what they're the, the lengths that they're willing to go to to save their children like Catelyn pleading like Rob just leave just get out of here and and Walter phrase what makes you think I would let him leave and I'm right. like oh you fucking asshole <laughs> just stand up and go just- what makes you think I would let him do that <laughs> yeah like oh I want I just like oh it's horrible so yeah so that's my number one Nice. That's, that's a good one. Horrible. I know. Horrible episode. So. Yeah. You can put that it's a great episode, but a horrible one. So that's my number one. Hardcore. How about uh, how about you, Travis? What's your number one? Um, my number one. I just really liked the the uh, the scene in Marine. Um, when they're sneaking in, or no, that's not Marine, is it? That's uh, Yunkai. Uh, Yunkai. Yeah. Sorry, my brain is still in marine mode because she was there for so damn long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Miranese not. Yeah, Yunkai is the city they couldn't afford. <laughs> right. <laughs> to really show us, yeah. They're like, we got this awesome new city. However, we can't afford it. <laughs> we do not have an awesome new budget. <laughs> yeah, we can't show you it. <laughs> I I really liked how Karth like the sets for Karth looked really cheap, but like they were trying to like make it look glamorous Super and it fancy. sort of but it really kind of symbolized the whole like vibe of that city. To be oh yeah, false. yeah, yeah, and like Zaro with his whole like yeah, yeah. He's, you know he's got some gold, but he's nowhere safe. Near looks fancy, but guess what? It's empty. Yeah, the they, set they, looks they, fancy, they, but guess what? It was cheap. Like they, they, now it's got bodies in it. <laughs> yeah, they recycled yeah, that jeweled peacock. And then at the end of the scene, they just they pick up the little background image. You get two guys on each end, and they just pick it up and start walking. Around <laughs> <the set. laughs> They're like front screen it's projection. Just, it's just one style. big board. <laughs> um, but anyways, so my uh, yeah, my number one was the 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 Grey Worm, Jora, and Dario three versus like all the guards <laughs> oh yeah jeez. um i just I, I really liked um really liked that scene um i really liked how barristan wanted to go there but you know he he was told that his place is beside the the queen um and you know it just kind of made me think about gray or er, um uh, barristan's fate in the coming seasons um, you know, they're versing all of the um Sons of the Harpy when that happens to Oh right, to it's Barristan. him and Grey Worm and like maybe, you know, a few other unsullied, but they get outnumbered. Yeah, they got outnumbered and then but in this in this scene it was like successful. Um but you don't really know it was successful. Like they the way they filmed it, you know, they kind of played it off as until Jorah shows up, and then, yeah, they walk around the corner. You're like, oh, okay, good, because the scene just cut, you know, when more of the guards showed up. Good timing, uh, too, because Danny's just like, it's been quite a while, and we haven't heard back from them. Um, I'm starting to get a little nervous, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then you know that he walks right around the corner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Almost like it was planned. Yeah. We'll show Rory a little bit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just – it just – and kind of like how we talked about earlier, the you could tell the fighting styles between the three. Yeah, that was um, cool. It's just like a really cool because you don't the way that these these three fighters they're all together, you know, taking on all these 
um, foreign guards. I don't think you really see like that sort of a team up. I think this is, might have been one of the first times in the show that you see that that kind of team up, and it kind of uh, symbolizes Danny like gathering all of these different. Right. Um, yeah. Like uh, Rachel is saying. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that before. Good point. Kind of like yeah. a video game or something, where you just get like these like three like vastly different like you get like a Spartan, oh yeah, and, like a knight, and, and, get like a tank DPS Talk healer, about for honor. yeah, <laughs> for honor. Yeah. Oh man. Um, but yeah, so I mean that was mine. It's kind of simple. I liked. Uh, we can't. We need to point out that Dario saved Jora's life in this scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Jora hadn't trusted him. You know, thought maybe he was leading him to a trap or whatever, and. Dario has reason to be mad at Jorah for not trusting him, but he proves himself and he proves his worth, you know, in spades. Oh, in this episode. man, I knew Irony. it. That's totally because right? <laughs> he's totally Braun's brother and there's totally parallel with Braun and the Hound. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God. Boom. And more the tinfoil. bear and the hound. <laughs> yeah. Tinfoil. <laughs> listen, listen uh, the reason why um, Barristan it ends up like dying when he fights the sons of the harpy is because they're in a confined space and the other guys are fighting with daggers and that is the rule and i, I i've known that i've noticed this if you're in a confined space with a sword and you've or got a, a long sword yeah or a spear you're gonna get yeah you're gonna get oberon so like gamer got. talk a got. tank <laughs> goes against dps and the tank has no chance other than a lot of life yeah because he you know he's got no mobility you know he's got burst but you know he just doesn't have the rapid the and all the armor but he doesn't have the rapid ability to like actually kill anything yeah you gotta have a maneuverable weapon barristan meme oh god um barristan sell me through a bottle of wildfire and killed 50 people and then it exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Just symbolizing how much of a badass he is. That's yeah, he's awesome. fucking Batman, dude. He's Batman. Basically. Yeah. He is totally Batman. That's great. Um, so where are we? That was Travis's, right? Yep, that was right. mine. So, Sir Patrick, you're numero uno, my friend. Oh, wait, didn't you want to mention uh, Reddit theory real quick? I found this post on Reddit, and I really love it, and I just wanted to share it with everybody. Um, it's from a user named um, Ironeed, Iron E-A-D. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, theory, uh, Rob Stark, the Abominable Young Wolf. If you guys want to see something, um, an awesome theory that I subscribe to, Go just go to Reddit and um, type in like theory Rob Stark the Abominable Young Wolf. It's awesome, but you know book spoilers. Okay. Book that spoilers. does sound cool. I'll check that out. I haven't heard that either. All oh, right. So what's your number one, Sir Patrick? I'm gonna go with uh, Hodor. Um, uh, well, why is Hodor freaking out? Um. Right, yeah, that that's my number one too. Is uh, Bran warging into Hodor, so we can just like, mm-hmm. you know, collab on that. Okay, because you know, I, I, so I had this thought. Um, he's Rhaegar. 
Hodor is Rhaegar. Okay, so, uh, you know, is Hodor freaking out because he sent, you know, the trouble's coming and he... Um, he thinks it's time to hold the exactly. door. Exactly. Is he thinking, like, uh, is yeah. the... You know, he knows there's going to be a time, but he doesn't know which time it's going to be or what's going to happen. He just knows they're going to be in a place and he's going to have to hold the door. Right. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. I think he doesn't know and he's starting to panic. He's just yeah. like, oh, no, is it time to hold the door? Oh, oh my God. That's intense. And the other thing, too, that's crazy about this is that nobody has the capacity, as as Jojen mentions, to warg into a human. And maybe Bran got it, had it a little bit easier um, than any other people that have tried because the first time that Hodor got hacked, we could say, was with future stronger Bran when he, you know, needed Hodor's help to hold the door and he was was in that vision back in time and young Hodor got Hodored by Bran, right? So that was the first time that Bran warged into Hodor. So Hodor was already like, a worn shoe kind of at this point, you know what I mean? He, he had already had had Bran warg into him when he was a little boy. So for Bran, even weaker Bran at this point than he becomes, he, it's, he, he was still, it was just weakened enough, you know, Hodor's psyche where Bran could slip in there now. Cause he, you know, it's a presence that has already been in Hodor's head um, since he was a little kid. So that's just like, this is like the the first, but also the second time that Bran and Hodor have like mentally connected, like yeah. that. You know what I mean? It's so weird. Like the whole but loop thing is so bugged out. Time loop. It, yeah, it's like that bootstrap paradox. Is like yeah. what they call, but like it's like okay, so is he able to like easily warg into him um, now because he's become a simpleton because he like got brain damage from the last time? Did he? Did he have that seizure because uh, he was trying to warg into him from the future, like in the like while he was like a vision in the past or something? Maybe. It was and, just and like another reason he may have been getting nervous was because <laughs> potentially when Bran warged with Hodor when Hodor was young and Bran was older, maybe some of Bran's memories, you know, got pushed into young Hodor's mind. Like he knows he has to hold the door, which is a memory from the future from Bran, you know. So maybe, uh, maybe he knew that Bran was about to warg into him because he had a memory from Bran of ha- of it happening, and he was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, it's about well, to happen!" Well, I it's about totally to agree with that because he's all he says is Hodor. So. I mean, the Hodor comes from hold the door as we, you know, come to find out. So I totally agree with you, Duncan, that that Hodor may be freaking out because he knows that Bran's about to warg into him. Like, what if what if on a separate timeline, like what if the last time around, like this was the time where you had to hold the door? (laughs) It changes each time because... The three-eyed raven is like is like adjusting things and like going back and be like. Well, like, and the future is kind of unpredictable. I mean, like right. things that happen in the present can change the future. So while Hodor's fate in this in the show, and I'm totally like going off on a weird tin <laughs> foil tangent. <Woo>! Triple T. <laughs> you know, it's like so time loops. So. In the future, like if we're in the present and I decide to do something different than what I did in the first time loop could change the whole future. So from Hodor's perspective, if 
he doesn't ever really know when to hold the door is actually going to happen because it'll happen at different times. It may happen at a different time or a different place because depending on how people are living out their present situations is changing the future. So while in the series we see Hodor die holding the door in that cave in Hodor's mind, I mean, freaking God, I don't even know. I'm totally going way off the deep end here. But (laughs) maybe he's relived this like a hundred times and every time it's been different because the future completely depends on people's actions in the present. Exactly. I'm totally with you. Or it could be like Lost where whatever happened, happened. Where it's just a mystery box. (laughs) Oh, it's like, isn't that weird? But, um... Okay, so, like, George R. R. Martin has said that Planetos is Earth on a different timeline. And so I believe that uh, show continuity is... is Alternate planet- timelines as well? Yeah, like it's Planetos are... on a different timeline than the book. But okay, it's, And That's there's cool. certain, like... Um, That's what I like about Walking Dead, too. It's, like, t- parallel universes. One, The show, one, the, the book, the other... Yeah, and I I feel like there there are these like deliberately implied alternate timelines of like what could have happened if like you know per, like you know the person like went from A to B instead of A to C or whatever like it, you know zigged instead of zagged and like it sent them on a different and you can sort of like it's kind of fun to like sort of track like well if this didn't happen then. And you can see the whole like chain of events, and you can almost imagine like a different a different story. Um, but uh, I I also I want to offer uh, another alternative to the the theory that I just like put put all that into. Um, <laughs> now, like Hodor starts freaking out, the horses are freaking out. Um, uh, Maybe he's just freaking out uh, because he can smell trouble because he's part giant. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got a good sense of smell. Um, That's funny. And uh, I think... Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's possible, have, man. Maybe the thunder... Um, you know, because Hodor is like freaking out because of the thunder. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe the too. thunder sounds like the banging on the door. Um, boom, on the door. Yeah. When he when he's holding the door, you know, there's all that banging, and it's like, you know, I mean, you know. Oh, So maybe the maybe the thunder is kind of like doing like this like thing in his brain to where it's PTSD. A little bit of PTSD where he can't tell if it's yeah exactly. He's like he can't tell if it's if it's thunder or if it's banging on the door and he's just like seven is like whole freak out in this case it would be pre-traumatic stress disorder yeah. <laughs> oh post-traumatic man stress. Wow. Yeah, yeah. pre-traumatic stress pre-post-traumatic post- traumatic stress there you go that's crazy. Okay. This is uh, Bran's kind of like Luke Skywalker moment, right? Where he he finally is able to sort of 
focus his energy and harness his power and and force warg into hodor <laughs> yeah exactly finds out his brother is actually sleeping with his dad yeah it, it, it's <laughs> yeah. A, it reminded me of that moment um johnny you might you're a big star wars guy you might see the similarity here Just where, a little bit you were like luke is hanging upside down on hoth and he has to focus his powers in a, da- a dire yeah. situation right and he he Ooh, grabs yep. the light, lightsaber with the force. Do you see any parallel there? Oh, definitely. Or like, uh, and then the more new movies, cause Ray's even more of a novice and like, she sits there and focuses on getting that, getting into that trooper's mind to let her go. You know, oh, and she has yeah. like barely any experience knows of That's it. That's so but, funny yeah. too. It's a great scene. Fucking James Bond. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, yeah, so that was like his totally like his Luke Skywalker moment. Um, so Bran, <laughs> or maybe his Anakin moment, maybe he's the, you know, if he's the Night King, maybe he's the one that's been chosen to bring balance to the So to do you Westeros. guys think that Jojen knew Bran could work into humans? Because like the way he responded to Bran, he was like, no one is able to do that. Yeah, he probably and, knew. But he kind of like looked at Bran like, but I knew you could. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so I my take on it is that uh, Bran is you know the Stark and Asha is the the First Men, and then Mira and Jojen are the children of the forest, and Hodor is a giant, and it's just you know a, a microcosm. Parallel. Yeah, it's like rhyming. You know, it's history repeating itself, and it's like the, that's so funny. The children, the giants, the First Men, and the Starks like banding together to face the long night interesting i like that theory okay yeah I follow you i follow you <laughs> that's cool. right on yeah all the giants they got those weird names hodor one one yeah oh, one yeah <laughs> one wig one dar one um yeah one big one dar one. <laughs> i like uh jolly green something like that yeah jolly green uh osha proves that she's good here too you know and she's uh which is kind of cool Bran has his touching moment with Rickon where Rickon's like, I'm your brother. I need to protect you. <laughs> <It's>, I, <laughs> hilarious. I like how like, Asha's like, well, it's cool. We'll go, we'll cross the narrow sea and we'll go on some adventures. And it's just like, you don't see them again until they're captured by right. the, what is it? Is it the car Starks or the Umbers? I think the, uh, the Umbers. Umber, yeah, yeah one of like, the Umbers gets him. And she's all telling yeah, because here right. they're planning to go to the Umbers as well. Yeah, and, and she's so they telling... probably got to the Umbers and then they got captured. Well, that's they were exactly there for a little happened. while before that happened because the Umbers were still on the Stark side for right, so for they, a little while they longer. Flipped on them, and so maybe they went on some adventures first. Yeah, maybe. that would make a fun spinoff. Yeah. Story. Also, <laughs> Small John Umber should not exist. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Why the, the whole. You know, small John number like cut Shaggy Head's dog off and all that stuff. He oh. dies at the red wedding in the in the oh. books. Oh, right, right, right. He's, right, right, he's right. like dead. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. so. I've 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 been saying that ever since the the whole. You shouldn't have even been there. <laughs> you shouldn't have even existed. What do you mean you're turning on the Starks and everything? Well, isn't there a theory out there that that wasn't really Shaggy Dog's head? Because it was too small to be a dire wolf. Yeah, but now it's like it's way past that to where there's no. Okay. 
the special effects guys denied that that you know they're like no that's that's the direwolf's head. They right. made it way too small because yeah. ghost's yeah. head is like twice that size. Yeah, yeah. ghost maybe he didn't freak, though. I just yeah. don't trust anybody. Yeah. <laughs> is it and isn't Rickon even played by a different kid in that season? No, no, it's, no it's the same, same guy. It's the same guy. He just okay. went through puberty. Uh, okay. <laughs> He's like, I'm your little brother. I'm supposed <laughs> to protect you. Well, you can protect me by serpentining. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, by serpentining. <laughs> <laughs> serpentine, Rickon. I like how you guys. I think Duncan points out that like. <laughs> Every time goes. I got that. So when people criticize him like I wouldn't know to do that. Like if I was freaking out and panicking and seeing someone was shooting an arrow at me, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, it's time to run zigzag." <laughs> <laughs> He's a little kid. And, uh, I play a lot of video games. Yeah. What were you gonna <laughs> yeah, say, people who play who have the advantage of playing a lot of video games will like get like cocky. Okay, well I play a lot of video games, but I'm a healer, so I usually get to stand in the back and just stand still and <laughs> try to heal all the people zigzagging out of my like line of sight. And then having them be like, "Why don't you fucking heal me?" And I'm like, "He ran out of my line of sight." <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the wow days. During uh during the rewatches, I we made that joke because every time he says that line, <laughs> I know how to use a sword or I know how to hold a sword. I was like, "Well, you don't know how to run." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> and then the second time I did the rewatch, or like just a few days ago, I said it again on Influx, and my wife's like, "You said that last week too." <laughs> I was like, "Oh." Anybody notice when uh, Shaggy Dog was like trotting off? Did it occur to anybody that that's the last time you're ever going to see him alive? No, I, I thought about that while watching it. I'm like, well, there goes Shaggy Dog, and that's uh, the last time I'm ever going so to see him. So we kind of lose two <laughs> two direwolves in this episode. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that's the last time to see him alive. This episode just keeps getting worse. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Like death. They should have just uh, labeled it like Death Central. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is Dead like th- I think it's like at this point, this is when you really start to see all like the memes popping up about and like people are just like you know the, the, you'll see that Ramsey quote about like if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't you, been paying yeah. attention. And, it, and it's kind of like yeah. they sort of like have us like at this point where nobody really feels safe about anybody at any given time. Isn't and there that funny quote, like George Martin said to at one point, somebody was like heckling him at a convention or something. He said, be nice to me or I'll kill somebody you love. Except <laughs> 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 Arya, because his wife said he would divorce him if, if he killed off Arya. <laughs> that's not Arya, that's the waif. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's possible. He that that's his little way of being of like sticking up his middle finger behind his wife's back and being like, "Well, you know, I'm the only <laughs> one who knows that it's not even her anymore. That's the waif wearing her skin." Yeah. Otherwise, she healed from a mir- miraculously from that gut wound. <laughs> well, yeah. You, you could look at it. You could look at it either way. I, I cut, which I kind of like enjoy. It's just like that. Really, you don't know that that's Arya, but right. you kind of know. But it's like, well, do I know? It's because I want it to be Arya. She definitely also, seems to be Arya. Doesn't necessarily mean right. it is. She seems to know stuff, you know, that Arya would know based on her like interactions with people at Winterfell. Nymeria. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Nymeria part. That's important too. Yeah. Maybe oh, that's why she, she turned away. Because <laughs> it's the wave. 
It's not. Yeah. It's not. Her. Oh right, but she did talk to Nymeria. She like recognized who Nymeria was, and it was a total reference to back in season one when she yeah. says to Ned, that's "No, not that's not me." Right when she's on the stairs and he's telling her, like, "Yes, Sansa, like you're gonna marry a lord and be a lady yeah. of a castle." She goes, "No, that's not me." That's and but she looks at Nymeria, who's like wild and free and has a pack of her own, and she goes, "Come back." come back girl I'm going to Winterfell come with me and then Nymeria turns her back and she goes it's not you and she has like a small smirk on her face and I just I loved that scene it's like oh yeah she totally gets her because they're like the same people they're the same soul if you love her let her go like no no we don't have the budget (laughs) that's what I was thinking I hope her pack shows up in season eight when oh, like all I the know. stuff's going down. If I, don't, I think it's going to because what what, to. what was the purpose of that scene other than foreshadowing something that's going to happen in season eight? Dark ammo. It, <laughs> if I don't see Arya like riding on the back of Nymeria with her like bloody like Flaming eyes dagger. gouged out by the mountain. <laughs> I don't know. It's just an image. Once I thought of it, I'm like, I have to see that. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Um, At yeah. least riding the wolf, but you know, she learned to fight blind. She can in the mountain. use, yeah, she can use uh, potentially. I mean, if if she can warg, you know, she could use Nymeria's eyes. Oh, As some yeah. of the Stark children, maybe they can. Maybe other ones could warg. Isn't there a theory out there? And again, I'm not like a major book reader, but I'm not afraid of like book spoilers that all the Stark children can warg into their wolves. There's definitely a theory. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, anything else you guys want to mention about Bran and Warging and Hodor and Luke Skywalker and time loops? Triple TLTs. Well, I can always talk about Luke Skywalker. Well, <laughs> well, I'll talk about time loops. Darth Vader's his dad. <gasps> oh, man, you bastard. Oh, my God. Why did you have to spoil that for me? Oh, my God. It's also Mufasa. Sorry. Luke Skywalker is actually Jamie, by the way. Robert Duvall's brother. Uh, yeah, losing a hand yeah, and everything. No hands. Yeah. He lose he lost a hand, got it replaced by a replica. There's some twin cest, and he killed his father who used to be good but became evil. So. Has an evil ruler father. Because Matt King's, King's his father. <laughs> That's funny. Has anybody has everyone said their number ones yet? Or yeah, I think so. Um, um, so. Can I throw on just an extra little Yeah, let's then? go through our notes if anybody else has uh, notes like extra stuff to talk about. I just wanted to, um, it's kind of like a note that I marked down. And Did you guys have any um, reactions with people, like, right after you watched The Red Wedding? Because... What do you mean? <laughs> I, I watched it, and I was just like, man. And then all my friends who watched, uh, you know, The Red Wedding episode, we were all, like, talking about it. And so I put, the, I had the episode on a flash drive, and my <laughs> brother was watching it. Um, and I left it for him. And so I left him a note and I put the flash drive on there. And I said, um, so my friends are in this band called Seven Kingdoms. Sick and band. it's a power power metal, female fronted power metal band. We've played and, uh, their, uh, their music on the show before. Yeah, yeah which I've been meaning They're to tell awesome. you. The song, The King in the North, would be like the perfect song for this episode if you get around to it. It's all about Rob Stark and the phrase and the murder. And nice. um, Anyways. So one of the quotes is, uh, the bards shall sing tale of the Red Wedding. So I wrote that on a piece of paper. 
And I said, finally, we get a happy Game of Thrones episode. And I left it for my brother. <laughs> and he texted me back and he was, I forget exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines You're of like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> That's and then my awesome. other friend, Christian, I, I left. I uh, he was watching the episode and then he's like, "Oh boy, I'm starting the the red wedding episode today or today or whatever." And I just replied back, "LOL." And then I was at work and then like an hour later, it was just all capitals in his message. <laughs> just like going off on it. I was oh, just yeah. curious if you guys had any funny interactions with friends or anything. I actually uh when I watched it uh, the very first time, I had already read the chapter. Okay. So I mean, I was still shocked because I mean, seeing it <laughs> again they they throw lines in the episode about you know without getting any book spoilers but even in the episode uh Frey says i can't believe he brought you here and it's like <laughs> ah i see what you're doing there writers of the show to like you know poke at book people that have seen it because it is different than what happens in the book but so i still watching it the first time didn't really i kind of knew what was going to happen or knew it was going to be devastating just because I mean, in the in the book, when you finish that part and how it all goes down, it's not like the end of the novel. It's like three-fourths through it, I think, or a little over halfway through. And it's just oh, like, man. it almost feel like, is the next page just blank? Because what the hell happened here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> what could possibly so I knew what to expect, but when I watched it, I didn't hold the cell phone out like a lot of people did, but I did watch my wife the whole time. Like, I mean, after the... Uh, uh, the Talisa thing <laughs> happens. I knew from there. I'm like, okay, I know where this is going now. And, but yeah, so watching her reaction was kind of cool because, you know, I mean, I kind of was already desensitized to like, I knew it was coming. I just didn't know how they were going to do it. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, I figured it was coming cause it was getting towards the end of season three. And, um, uh, for any of the book readers, you, you realize like the way they split the seasons up amongst the books, like, again like half of season four is the other half of book three you know and those kinds of things so it's uh right. yeah season one is book one season two is book two kind of yeah, yeah. season three is like the and, first half of book three or something right so it, it i kind of knew it was like you know by the time we're already eight episodes into the series and we're about to start episode nine i'm like okay they gotta kind of start getting to this around now or is this going to be in season four it can't open season four with this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was funny, though, watching her reactions because, I mean, it was just yeah. like, and I put that in my notes, too. Uh, just, you know, if you have not Googled it yet, just even today they hold up. Just go to oh, YouTube yeah, Red Wedding and reactions. Google Red Wedding Reactions and just <laughs> go around hours and hours. of. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't even imagine. My favorite is Maisie Williams reacting to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. Oh, man, that's brutal. <laughs> Because it's hilarious. She's just like, they's dead. My mother and brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the immediate reaction that I had was, like, I was with my husband and we, it was silent and we just kind of like sat there for like a minute and then we kind of looked at each other and we were like, what the fuck just happened? And then I, I remember, I can't remember what I watched after, but we both were like, we need to watch something like a little bit more uplifting before we go to bed. <laughs> So I, I, I don't even remember shit. what we watched because the whole time, whatever we were watching, I think it was billions. And I, all I could think of is like, oh, my God, the Starks are dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, um, I work from home uh, mm -hmm. mostly. 
at least at the time that I was watched the red wedding, I worked solely from home. So I like got up in the morning and I felt like super depressed, <laughs> was so depressed. And I like logged on and I was like, I need to go for like a walk or something <laughs> to clear my mind. Cause Hilarious. I seriously was so cloudy the next day. Cause it was just a lot to process. And I mean, what happened in a 10, I mean, was it like 10, 15 minutes? Like I should have timed it. But I mean, like in a 10 to 15 minute time frame, what happened in that 10 to 15 minutes could have been like an entire episode in its own. There was so much to process. There were so many main characters. There was so much at stake. There was so much going on. Like it took me like a day or two to process for sure. It's kind of cool the way it sort of plays out with first of all, like one of the phrase walking towards the double doors um, and closing them and turning around and walking. With the seven. Yeah. With the uh, seven. Yeah. The, uh, the, 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 like the seven pointed star outside, you know? Um, And, and Catelyn's like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And right as he closes the doors and starts walking back, then all of a sudden the music changes from the bear and the maiden fair, which they're listening to as the, the bedding ceremony was taking place. And it switches to the reigns of Castamere. And um, like we mentioned before, that was, you know, they explained that story in the last episode, um, setting us up for this. So being quite astute, you know, and not completely an idiot, <laughs> having grown up in Westeros, Cat immediately notices that all these things are fucked up all of a sudden, right? You know, she's like, why are the doors closed? Why are they playing this fucking somber song? And it's uh, one of the guys in the band is Will Champion from uh, Coldplay, I guess, the drummer of Coldplay is up there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? So, oh, damn really? Coldplay for killing Rob Stark. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, and that was some Coldplay. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Johnny? So, yeah. I mean, I guess this isn't a, a huge book spoiler, but is it okay to talk about the band difference or? Uh, so yeah, the, the band. Yeah, sure. That should be fine. Yeah, in the novel, the band plays like shit because they're all crossbowmen. <laughs> crossbowmen, yeah. But uh, and, and in the, yeah. and in, the ep- in the episode, in the episode, they play amazing. And not only that, the writers made sure that I can't remember who comments if it's Catelyn. Someone comments on how beautiful the music is being played earlier in the wedding. Oh God. And it's like, oh man, really? You know, so it's just you know. <laughs> kind of reach out there because that's how you knew something was up that was one of the telltale signs in the novel because they do such a major job of like describing how much they're butchering that song that's so funny <laughs> so maybe it's like a it's sort of like a a red herring like a to throw off book readers to be like oh, maybe things it's gonna are different. different yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's maybe, great yeah. Yeah, that's oh it's gonna be nicer not as harsh yeah <laughs> no it's yeah. worse no we're gonna start with some infanticide uh in your in your face uh, so yeah, it's like well yeah Alyssa wasn't there in the books and there's no way they'd kill a baby right <laughs> yeah. it must mean that she's safe and it's gonna yeah there's no baby like Judith's minus all life. the baby killing that occurs in the show afterwards yeah, yeah. but it's like people would have blocked that out <laughs> they completely repressed that memory. Um, so speaking of the music, when they're when they first start the red wedding scene and they're all laughing and um, the flaccid fish uh, <laughs> is feeding blackberries to Rosalind Frey, um, the music that's playing that upbeat song plays in a lot of the weddings. Um, it plays at Joffrey's wedding as well, and so I found that kind of interesting because. Also at Joffrey's wedding, they play the Reigns of Castamere. 
Right. And right. so they also play the, I believe, and I hope I don't get this wrong. I believe they also played the Bear and the Maiden Fair at Joffrey's wedding. And I'm totally going off just like memory of Sleepless Nights watching the show, but I'm pretty sure they play it. So all of the music that plays at Joffrey's wedding. Oh, is another also dead wedding? At the Red Wedding, but that mm-hmm. same upbeat music is also played at Tommen and Marjorie's wedding. I oh, don't know about Reigns of Castamere and the Bear and the Maiden Fair, but I know for a fact that upbeat song plays at all three weddings, and Tommen ends up, you know, committing suicide. So, yeah, but it's like um, three weddings that are never consummated. <laughs> it, well, oh, maybe yeah, Tom, sh- Tommins was. Sh- yeah, sorry in the about show, that. Tommins is, but I know I in the novels, just off book spoilers, that it's he's too young. He's like 12. So I know that it's not consummated in the novel. But um, it's the it's not like a recognizable song like The Bear and the Maiden for Reigns of Casimir, but it's mm. the same beat. So if you listen to when they're first like, you know, they're eating blackberries, they pan over to Rob and to Lessa, and they're, like, you know, schmoozing with each other. Um, that song that's playing in that moment plays in Joffrey's wedding and Tommen's wedding so as well. So it's, like, upbeat. It's, like, stock upbeat festival music. Yes, <laughs> they just keep yes. Music. That's so funny. And I'm not going to, like, terrorize our fans by, like, trying to... Recreate it. <laughs> like, hum it, <laughs> but... Just rewind it, watch it, and then as the next weddings occur, just keep that melody in your mind, and you'll be like, holy shit, it's the same song. That's funny. <laughs> I just looked into this a little bit while editing this episode, and I can't find a name for this song, but there's videos of it on YouTube, and it's out there, unnamed, just lurking, waiting for the next wedding. Or if anybody has a name for it, uh, let us know, please. Thanks. Um, did you guys notice the... Um, cloak clasps on Rob's, well, Rob's cloak. <laughs> I did not. No. So they're two dire wolves, pretty slim, narrow ones. So I'm a costumer and a cosplayer, so I I look at stuff like this all the time, and they're the same clasps that Sansa wears in season seven on her cloak. Oh, cool. So she's paying like homage. Like facing each other, the ones that face each other. Yeah, like they're like holding the the cloak. Um, facing each other, kind of like John's on his on his gorget, but I mean, just on her cloak, the way that it's clasped. So she's pl- she's been paying a lot of uh, homage to, you know, yeah, where where she's from, Real her family. Slick, slick costume design in this show for sure. And Sansa's like, you know, she changes her hair to match Cersei, to match her mom, to match you know Marjorie, Marjorie, hey. and like uh, the. The season seven costume. If Arya is a faceless man, Sansa is a hairless woman. <laughs> the season seven <laughs> costume is is uh like the belt. I, I read a bunch of costuming stuff on it. Um, I, I've I've made that belt for that. I don't know, like waist belt, like whatever you call it, the leather the leather one that she's wearing in season seven. So like that one was the. Michelle Clapton, I think is her name. Um, she like the whole story behind that is it's, you know, fending off Littlefinger. It symbolizes, you know, like this is off limits. 
And then her hair is like paying homage to um, her to like mom's whole side of things. And then the cloak, uh, the clasps are, or the, I guess the the brooches, I should say. Yeah, to rob. Um, to rob, and then and the it's wolf just like, around her neck to Ned. Yeah, and then the the um, yeah. And so, is that what that is like? Because John wears one too. Is it's supposed to be a wolf? It's yeah, not it's like a, a fox pet. or. It's actually it's actually um, uh, Sansa's in season six is a silver fox. Oh, interesting. Um, and John's is in season six. It's a cross fox, and then in season seven, it becomes, I want to say, like coyote. Type. I mean, based on like the real materials that they use, because you know, I created. I felt like a costume. wolf pelt would be a lot bigger than what is portrayed is. on their cloaks. Yeah, like no, even it, not like dire wolf standards, but just like a regular like hundred, hundred and fifty pound wolf. Like, well, that's that's why I didn't get wolf for like my my cloaks because um, I cosplay Jon Snow as well, um, and the. You're what John, I ended you're up John Crow, though. John Crow. Obsidian yeah. Crow. <laughs> well, I mean, I cosplay Night's Watch, too, but I mean, I, I made the Season 7 outfit, um, the Metal Gorget, you know, everything. Um, and that oh, yeah, one, that's sick, too. That thing looks looks good, man. My blacksmith friend in Puerto Rico, man, he's like one of the best. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, do, you, do you have an authentic Kia rug for your Night's Watch? <laughs> yeah, 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 good point. Thank you. But yeah, the the fox, it's a it's a fox, a cross fox for Jon Snow. Oh, cool. And God, why like, are you guys killing my people? <laughs> <laughs> Death to house fox. Uh, yeah, the whole idea thing. That was funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was just one of the notes I had. Was the sorry to go off tangent. I, uh, I have uh, a related note. Go, um, go for it. Um, just something I've noticed. Um, uh, Asha, I, I think it's since she was since she put down Maester Lewin and, and he like told her to take care of the Stark kids. Like she went from having her hair like in front of her face all twisted up to like from then on she's been wearing the traditional Stark hairstyle. True. Yeah, she's got it pulled right. back like like nine. half up, half down. Yeah. 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 Um, I liked how like hmm. I never really got to finish my point earlier, but I liked how she you know pledged her loyalty to the Stark family uh, in this episode basically and said you know you guys picked me up when I was down and took me into your family and gave me a role and, and a purpose and I'm gonna fucking get this kid to safety. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was pretty cool. Uh, uh, yeah. She's yeah, gonna try I, at least. <laughs> I wanted to to mention that. Um, because she's like, we're going to go to the safety of the Umbers. The Umbers are great warriors. We'll be safe with them. Even I know of, of what great warriors they are. It's like, yeah, because the Umbers, like, kill wildlings all the time. Yeah, they, they hate them. Or, that, that's, yeah, like, yeah. their whole thing. That's, like, what they do. <laughs> and so she's just like, oh, yeah, I'll bring you. Yeah, I, I know about the mighty warriors, the Umbers. and Yeah. Yeah. I had a note about um, Sandor in this episode. We get to see how, like monstrously strong he is when he shows up and lifts that wagon up oh yeah you know <laughs> like that must be so heavy can't even imagine how heavy that would be and he just lifts it right up so the guys like, can put the new wheel on or the repaired wheel or whatever it's a hand I need a and notice hand. how he <laughs> yeah. before he knocks him out he lets that guy help him put the wheel on yeah so that he can <laughs> and then knocks him out <laughs> yeah he's like yeah dead rats don't speak dead don't squeak I was just gonna say yeah, yeah. he's got some good lines in this episode and is this, 
is this the same dude that squeaked on Jamie and Brienne? <laughs> no, no, I doubt it. But right. it made me think of that. Because you know? <laughs> it, it, it is like, a, you know, this the, the repetition or the parallels or whatever, but it's like in one case somebody makes the right decision and somebody makes the wrong decision in the other, something like that. Yeah, what is this? Well, so what I just kind of came to, I mean, this isn't like a crazy point, but... Um, the rat, like the fact that uh, the hound references rats in this episode, in this specific episode where guest right is completely violated. Mm. Um, the story that Bran tells about the Rat King and the guest right, I found that kind of interesting. Actually, like it was kind of just now, like dead rats don't squeak. Okay, well rats. And then they have their guests, right? They eat the bread and salt and they all get slaughtered at the Red Wedding. But when Bran talks about the Rat King in the castle, like the story is like all about violating guest rights. So right. yeah, I, good point. I actually just kind of like made that connection that it was just like a quick reference to rats that right, the rat you know, King in, a, in, a, in a specific in episode where guest right is completely violated yeah you mentioned rats yeah. yeah that makes sense that's pretty cool um the other part is uh the the hound tells her you know she's don't kill him please please don't and the hound says you're very kind someday it'll get you killed you know and aria refuses to kill that actress lady and uh you know because she's so kind and Almost then the wave killed. stabs her in the gut yeah so it could foreshadow something uh something else happening in the future potentially to uh to Arya because of her you know that morality that she has that that compass maybe she'll hold back killing somebody and it'll get her killed next season or something it's also the hound's kindness kind of gets him killed when he like challenges Brienne cuz he's trying to keep Arya safe safe true mm. yeah he sticks his neck out for Arya almost gets him or maybe yeah yeah definitely almost gets him killed well, um, in my opinion, he d- it does get him killed, and he is completely yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just oh, me. There's another funny line. Rickon says, "Old Nan said they'll turn your skull into a cup and make you drink your own blood from it." <laughs> and, in the same episode with Bruce Bolton turning out to be not who we thought he was, so right. you know, maybe that's kind of an allusion to the bolt-on theory, which is I highly recommend looking up because it's really fun. Oh, that's funny. I'll have to look it up. But uh, th- this line with with Rickon saying, because first of all, if you if you take somebody's skull and turn it into a cup, how are you going to make them drink out of it? You know, you turn their skull into a cup, right? <laughs> like, oh, is this so, that makes so, makes you drink out of your own skull? Yeah, you drink your own well, blood. Yeah. So uh, it it reminded me of that line from from Team America where he's like, "Oh, a flying limousine! Now I've seen everything." And he's like, "Have you seen a man eat his own head?" It's like no, then you haven't seen everything. <laughs> I love your voice. That. You could be like one of those like talk show uh, news news they anchors. Old-timey and... voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that that just made me think of that funny Team America part. Um, <laughs> anybody got anything else you want to add about uh, any notes or anything? Yeah, I got I got something. So right. on my rewatch, I went ahead and I. Uh, Fast forwarded, and uh, I had to watch just that excerpt from season six, episode ten. Like, um, I know it's a the winds of podcast, winter up till seven. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the season finale of season six, just to watch Arya head back to Frey. 
Oh like yeah. That. I mean, oh yeah. It, it was that that was that thing that back in the day you couldn't watch because it didn't exist. But I was like, hell yeah, I'm doing a rewatch of the Red Wedding. I'm, I'm gonna right follow now. it right up. Instant justice. That's great. That's so funny. Yeah. Like if I could show that to my five year younger self, like it's okay, look. <laughs> this is look gonna what happen. I kind of feel like, uh, like the you know the like season seven got a lot of like guff from a lot of critics and everything, and I kind of feel like part of it is like there's sort of this like learned helplessness or like you know how like a dog can get addicted to being beaten by its owner or something like where it's like people are Stockholm like upset Syndrome that season seven like gives you what you want didn't and hurt them as much <laughs> yeah the like doesn't yeah. tear hit me your again Ike and, and this time put some stank on it. season 8 is not going to be happy I was just going to say I think season 8 we're all going to be like oh my god Yeah, I don't don't think the series is going to that's what I was telling uh, my wife the other night I was like what if it ends really with Cersei remaining on the throne how much would everybody just hit the ceiling (laughs) 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 that would be so funny man Try to but stay like, away from like spoilers. Ramsey Bolton said, <laughs> if you have been watching <laughs> and yes. you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, so totally. that yeah. that always rings true. Anytime something like positive starts to happen, I'm like, oh, I'm clearly not paying attention because I don't think this is going to have a happy ending. Right, I really right. don't. It's it like, ends with Arya sitting on the throne and then she pulls up her face and it's Rhaegar! <laughs> 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 yeah, D- uh, John and Danny both die. All the dragons die. Arya dies. Sansa's clinging to life. <laughs> and like Gendry dies. And <laughs> everybody dies, basically. Maybe. Everybody but Bronn gets his castle and that's all that really matters, right? In the uh, end. Gendry, right. Strong kind arm. of okay with that. <laughs> Oh, man. Anybody else got any notes? So I have a quick note, and it's like a very fleeting moment that I just loved so much in like a very dark and dreary episode was when the wedding between Rosalind and uh, the flaccid fish is going on. And the blackfish looks over at <laughs> the, the ladies, and they all like they're all like, "Ew, blackfish!" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah. fuck!" He's like, uh, yeah, "I gotta go." Turns right back, and, and like, I, I just love that moment because he's like just relaxing, like looking around, and like four of them are like, "Oh hey!" And he's like, "Oh fuck!" And he just like turns around and just like, "Okay, I'm just gonna pretend." So it's just kind of a a quirky moment because I believe in the books. I've read a little bit about Blackfish in the books. I'm I'm like I'm a quarter of the way into book two, I believe, at this point. And I, I believe he's supposed to be kind of portrayed as gay. I, I, I don't know if that's like continued through the series, but I just found that kind of funny that he you know, he's at the wedding and all these girls are like looking at him. He's like, oh, nope, not my type. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Like, either, way, <laughs> either way, them making him uneasy saved his life. Well, exactly. prolonged it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, yeah, he's he still alive. Right Duncan helped me realize that on, on the previous episode. <laughs> when he was talking about like, 
Well, no, I mean, there's no way he could have gotten away because, you know, they would have, like, put out a dragnet and searched the area, and, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, wait, the phrase? The no, phrase? Was in control. <laughs> oh, that's true, Jamie yeah. <laughs> he just like, walked the, right past him. The phrase are a bunch of idiots, and the blackfish is, like, the slipperiest mamma jamma in the Boy, land. He's gone. He's down the river. Yeah. Well, pun intended being that he's a fish. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Pun, pun totally intended by Gurm. It's all like in the it's in the symbolism. He's like he represents like he is this like he is like General Sherman, like the fish that you could just can never catch. And you'll have to like, uh, you'll 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 yeah, you'll have to continue reading the books. <laughs> yeah. So I got Damn I got you. one thing I labeled under odd shit, and maybe you guys awesome. will uh, see this. <laughs> How come it takes 25 to 30 wildling, wildlings to storm one old man with some horses outside his cottage? <laughs> you know, if, if you sit back in a rewatch and watch the scene, it's like something out of Braveheart. Only what <laughs> they're going after is just one old man. They made so much more noise than they needed to. They could have snuck up so easily, but you know they decided Jeez, to charge like with battle them. cries and... Well, yeah, they like, wanted people, like, they wanted to leave their calling card or something like that. Or they're wild and vicious. They're just and... jonesing for a kill. Yeah, like, they just want to charge. The wall, Bum rush! Like, <laughs> Everybody, go get them! <laughs> it's just 30, like, buff-ass wildlings, crazy egret, super killer. All these people rushing this old dude with some horses. Yeah, and John <laughs> so tips of... him off. With yeah, the, he hit the rock. Smack like, the clings rock. a sword on that rock, and the guy's like, what was that? Yeah. That was smooth. He's like, oh, fuck. I've got to get away from these crazy wildlings. <laughs> that was funny. I love that that's happening in the in the gift, like the land, the gift. Yeah. It, it's, you know. Oh, man. Re- research the history that's, on the gift. That's and then, cool, too, yeah. yeah. Um, you know yeah. what else is cool? Uh, th- when John is about to, well, he doesn't do it, but when he looks like he's about to execute the old guy there, and the old guy says to him, she looks sharp. Right about his blade, isn't yeah. that what mm. Corn Halfhand says to him? Also, before he kills the Halfhand, doesn't he say like something no. about like his blade being sharp or something like that? Oh man, so he's a Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's the Bolton motto: is our blades are sharp, right? Oh, I don't know. Actually, I, I'm pretty. Sure. I don't know the Bolton words that you mentioned. Our it. blades are sharp. That's pretty cool. Here, I'll Google. Yeah, yeah, do it up. Their blades are sharp because they were originally dragon glass blades, which is actually way sharper than steel, although more brittle, and they got the whole practice of flaying from the children of the forest. That is their words. Our blades are sharp. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Badass. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that. Good good uh good pull. Let's see. Anybody else got any any notes? Anything worth mentioning? I had another really short one with the hound. Um, when the hound is talking to Arya, he goes, remember what happens to children that run? I thought that was a great coup to the first season about the butcher's boy. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. totally like playing to her. They like, took some digs at each other, for sure. Yeah, they were digging at each other this whole episode, and I thought that was like... <laughs> well, I know about your face. I know about your face. Oh, though that's, you know, Ilan Payne when he snipped your daddy's neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they like went at each other, but I thought that was like kind of a great cue. It's like, remember what happens to children that run because the hound ran him down. And yeah. Arya's face, she was just like, oh, you fucker. 
Yeah. <laughs> possible foreshadowing of um, future Rickon. Yeah. Oh, Children yeah. who wrote. I don't know. <laughs> I, nope. I wrote down. I'm with you. Um, yeah. Speaking of the the hound in that same exact scene, my little side note was the um, the fear quote that he that he made. Um. Oh God, I don't. I just now I'm spacing on it because all I wrote when I was watching the episode was the hound fear quote. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no it was um she was talking about when she um she knows about his his fear and how his face was pressed into um flame she says yeah you're afraid and she says i'm not afraid of course you are you're almost there and you're afraid you won't make it the closer you get the worse the fear gets no point in trying to hide hide behind that face i know fear when i see it seen it a lot (laughs) Exactly that quote. <laughs> um, playing I just playing the like that. Yeah, it was a cool moment. Um, yeah, they're going back and forth. Oh, before we were talking about um, the way that the red wedding sort of plays out, and uh, so she the, the doors close, the music starts. She kind of makes eye contact with Roose Bolton after they sort of sit down again, and it, it reminded me of uh, the the interrogation scene in The Dark Knight when the Joker kind of like rolls his head towards the cop, and like. It gives him like a knowing smile after saying like, <laughs> he's like, how many of your friends did I kill? Six, you know, and he like kind of like <laughs> rolls his head over. And so Bruce Bolton kind of rolls his head over towards, towards Catelyn and has this smug grin on his face. That's just really Joker like to me for that moment. Yeah. I was like, Oh man, give me a, a vision of that scene from the dark night. <laughs> I really like that that the chemistry between Cat and and um Roos in Quite good. that whole hmm? Quite good. Yeah, like it, it it the way it plays out, it almost seems like everybody's having a good time and like like Roos and Cat are like getting along despite themselves and right. like it almost kinda like seems like they might even like hook up or something or <laughs> but and it's like the way he looks at her and then like looks down at his sleeve, like, go ahead. Yeah, take a look. And she like yeah she like pulls up his sleeve and sees the chainmail and it's just like and he's just smiling and it's just like oh, so fuck. fucked up yeah. oh it's so yeah. crazy oh I learned something uh, when I was doing a little bit more research earlier today um, I can't remember who says it in in the episode but they're like well surely you must have had a, a bedding uh, oh right ceremony. Ned yeah, for yeah, your wedding it was, it was Ned Bolton. for it. yeah was it Bolton. Yes. Yeah, and so uh, she's like, "No, he, something about a broken jaw or whatever." Yeah. Um, and in the in the books, like she talks about that that scene, and um, there actually was uh, a petting ceremony. So I thought that was a little interesting. I think they were just trying to make small talk between Roos and Cat. Ha! That's funny. So yeah, the yeah. Little, little details like that sometimes get a uh, get changed on the show from the books. Mm-hmm. It's, pretty cool. it's like did. Did he break her jaw? <laughs> her jaw. <laughs> or did he break somebody's jaw? I'm sorry. I'm a little confused. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, um, all right. So, like, there's a part when I, I don't know if this is in the books, but when Cat uh, has the Kingslayer tied up and is asking him about, like, Bran and why he did it, and, and he just, like, confesses, just honest to her. And right. She's so like, crazy. She's holding a rock. She's holding a stone 
that oh, she's yeah. about to like bash his head in with, and but and then like as he's telling her, she like clutches it right to her heart, and then like she like ultimately just like casts the stone away and then walks off. And so I don't know if that's different in the books, but I feel like it has bearing on like it's symbolic of like you know she's holding the stone to her heart and then she th- casts it away like she didn't take the path of vengeance with she's letting it go yeah yeah and um yeah oh man you see what i'm doing here without actually like yeah yeah totally saying, okay so yeah um i thought that was like interesting yeah multiple and, paths uh, and different choices and you know what at what point would she break and take the dark path you know uh-huh yeah it's interesting it's in, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. She decides not to kill Jamie, and then who knows what butterfly effect that had on the rest of the story as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, she doesn't kill him in the books either, but uh, <laughs> if she had that, like, that moment with him in the books where she had the chance to, like, choose, like, rage and vengeance or, you know, walk away kind of thing. Yeah, um, pretty, pretty pivotal moment. Um, um, I think that pretty much wraps up my notes. Anybody got anything else? No, I'm done. One really, one really clever thing that uh, somebody pointed out on Reddit, and I guess I'd like to give them the credit they deserve. Sure. Um, but I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, wait, okay, yeah, it was a Nashi Matt user. Um, anyway, but uh, and I know he, so he points out this line in the books, and Cat um, is thinking about the possible outcomes of the up. Uh, coming wedding and she says that they are caught between Lannister and Greyjoy and just noticing that uh oh Lannister's Casterly Rock Greyjoy's Iron Island rock in a hard place <laughs> wah, wah, wah. classic pretty good that's funny uh, one, one other thing I episode. wrote down oh sorry go ahead no just that she she like doesn't she paraphrases it she's like says like in the episode she says like caught between the Lannisters and the sea <laughs> and so it's like she kind of like I don't know, implies it sort of yeah i That's guess it funny. might have been too obvious or maybe they changed it because they didn't catch the pun when the show writers oh were the show writers it modified or... it because they didn't understand mm-hmm. it in the first place yeah that's funny one other thing i wrote down was that i was surprised that Arya didn't let out like a blood-curdling scream when gray wind got shot right in front of her i don't know if i would have been able to contain myself at that moment yeah i, I probably she was wouldn't probably have. so frightened because like you see her like when the phrase went by and she like like pretends to be like a barrel. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Within the barrels, you oh, know, it's man. like she's trying to process everything that's happening, and you know, in that moment, she's probably just terrified. And you know, like when you go into nature, like fight or flight or run or stay or scream or yell or stay quiet. It, you know, survival kicks in in that moment. Probably her instinct kicked in, mm-hmm. and she was just like, "Oh, fuck!" Like, because she was sitting there. Like, I had this in my notes. She was so happy to hear like the northern accent. They're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go back to Winterfell, a." Eh? And she was like, "Oh, you know, like the northern people." She's about ready right to walk there. over there. They're right there. They're like tangible. She can hear them. She can smell them. She can. She could practically. She can yell out, out to them. One from this. Yeah, <laughs> and and then they all get slaughtered. And I think in her moment of, 
maybe just like human instinct, she was just like, oh, fuck, I need to hide because I'm I'm a northerner and watching Grey Wind as much as she probably wanted to cry and yell and run over there. She her own instinct of survival kind of overpowered that that feeling of screaming because reaction of the pain take place. And also, right. I mean, she she knew Greyland, but she left for King's Landing like very shortly after they got their dire wolves. So, like, while she knew Greywind, she I don't think she maybe necessarily had like an emotional connection to Greywind. Um, gotcha. You know, so it's like why it was terrible that it was her brother's wolf being killed. It, it wasn't the same as like Nymeria being killed or maybe even Lady at that point because she traveled with Spent Lady more time and she with knew Lady, Lady. And everything. Yeah. Because so, uh, it had been up. a while. I mean, it'd been like two or th- two two years, three years. I don't know what the storyline is in the book, but like I would imagine two years at least. Since they got the, the last wolves. Yeah. Since she had seen Grey Wind. Oh, potentially. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like there was distance between their connection. And while it was heartbreaking, she, you know, her own instinct of survival kicked in over, like, grief. I've seen this episode so many times, and I realized this episode as I watched Arya witness the betrayal of the Stark men there, that she saw that and knew that the fix was in and that, like, she needed to hide. But it was that... that scene happens immediately after Talisa gets stabbed in the stomach, you know, after the baby gets stabbed. And I think it's uh, that, that moment is like, so like such a gut punch, you know, when the baby gets stabbed that like, I never noticed Arya (laughs) seeing all those guys get betrayed before. (laughs) Like I've seen, I have to have seen this, like, you know, I know because you're like, you're in total shock at the moment. Like the whole, the whole last 10, 15 minutes of that episode is just like, shock value yeah but like not shock value yeah yeah not so like, like not meant credit. that way like but yeah it, not it is. to it's just so it. shocking i mean it it changes the whole it it changes the whole like outline of this, the entire story so it's not shock value to like discredit the storyline but y- you're literally shocked i yeah. mean it's shocking what's happening and you just like you see a a pregnant woman being stabbed. You see like all these men being stabbed. You see like this group of men outside being stabbed. Then you see like this beautiful rare creature being murdered. <laughs> who's like a huge connection to the Stark line. You see Arya like almost being reunited with her family, but then not. And then you, I mean, then you see Rob and Kat and, it's like it's too much to take in it, yeah. this whole episode. So um, yeah, that pretty much wraps up our notes, right? Anybody got else got anything uh, you want to add? Oh, I think I'm good. Clear. Last call. <laughs> Always with the one last thing from me. Um, but uh, remember in the the battle of Blackwater when the bells are going off and Varys says that line about you know I hate the sound of bells. They only chime for war or something and yeah, then yeah for war and death Tyr- or something and then Tyrion says also for weddings and various is like i know the worst or something like that oh yeah that's so, so funny i don't know if the reigns of castamere had plays like prior to that because that's the episode where i really like actually be- started to notice it and become familiar with it because Bronn sings it and then it plays at the end but uh yeah like 
they really yeah they end that episode with Reigns of Castamere so I thought that was pretty interesting that is pretty funny yeah <laughs> total foreshadow <laughs> yeah so yeah this is a big moment for the series and uh, you know it changes everything moving forward from here right Definitely. Definitely. Well, I agree. Alright, we will be right back. Winter is coming, but Rob, your death is near. The band strikes up the reins of Castamere. They'll trade their loots for crossbows, oh yeah The betting ceremony won't have the only blood Hurry up now, crossbows It's a nice day to kill a king It's a nice day for a red wedding Tell the world that I And we are back with more Game of Microphones. Wait, what's that off in the distance? Do you hear it? (laughs) Sir Angelo of House Perez says it was sad. Agreed, Angelo. The Lady Bridget of House McNeese says... I didn't start watching the show or reading the books until after season three was out. Someone mentioned the Red Wedding before I got to it, so I cheated and spoiled myself about it. That still didn't prepare me for how hard it was to watch. Seeing Arya get so close to being reunited with her family, Catelyn realizing what was happening, then all the stabbing and throat slitting was just heartbreaking. Darn Walder Frey for breaking the rules of guest right. Great episode, and I really think they did justice to the book, even with some of the differences between the two. Sir Matthew Rep says, Knowing what is to come, this following quote from Walder Frey right after the bread and salt is served could not be any more ominous. Well, let's get ready. The wine will flow red and the music will play loud and we'll put this mess behind us. It was the Stark's blood that ran red while the band played The Reigns of Castamere. I didn't pick up on this foreshadowing until just now and man, it was like a gut punch. Thanks for writing, Sir Matthew. Lord Santos of House Sanchez says, Okay, I didn't rewatch it recently, but what I do know and am most surprised about is how brutally they take Talisa out. Vicious! The only thing more harrowing was Catelyn's wail of anguish once Rob took his final breath. Thanks for writing, Santos. Sir Nick Quinto says, It's a great day for a red wedding. <laughs> Lady Angelica of House Garcia Decker says, My heart cannot take this episode, but I watch it every time when Rob turns to Catelyn after she's basically begging Walder Frey that he was her firstborn son, and he says, Mother, as they do it to him, absolutely shatters me. It is so well acted and so visceral. Fuck Walder Frey. Could not agree more, Lady Angelica. Lady Caroline Grenier says, I spoiled myself when someone talked about Game of Thrones to me and about how hard it was to watch, and especially the Red Wedding. Therefore, I didn't find the scene as shocking as I could have. But, while I rethink about it, I just can't believe how they killed two major characters in one scene. Also, I found that overall, the Freys and the Boltons are the worst traitors in the series. 
I know it's only in the next episode or so, but the scene when Rob's body is carried with the head of Greywind instead makes me sad and disgusted each time. Agreed. That is a brutal scene, Lady Caroline. Hi, Duncan. Um, this is Lady Caroline Collins leaving hey, my feedback for the Red Wedding. Uh, thanks for making me rewatch it twice now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had to do that and it really sucked. <laughs> so, but it was a great episode, so it didn't really suck, but it was still painful to watch right, right at the end. It was worth um, it. It was worth it. But, uh, I had a few, few things that I wanted to talk about. Um, and, uh, so I thought I'd leave it here. Thank you so much for, uh, last week's, um, episode with, uh, Lady Rachel. That was really great. You are um, welcome. To hear you guys. And, um, I'll get just right into it. No more. <laughs> so, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the first scene we see, uh, is the, the chess pieces or the, um, you know, the battle strategy pieces on the um on the map that they're working with um in the tent and you see uh rob stark and um and catelyn talking about the strategy of taking castle rock and um you in the first shot they have the the piece of the flayed man lord bolton's sigil behind the um castle of the twin towers uh the phrase sigil so it's like an immediate nonverbal symbolic like representation of what's going to happen at the end of this episode and i thought it was so clever that they did that i mean um the the showrunners are really good at um doing these little things that don't require any words they just tell you exactly what's going to happen and if you know what's coming it's like right there in your face the first moment of the episode which was really clever i thought and then it did a few other little nods um and actually there's a couple of little book nods that i wanted to talk about but i don't think it i'm not going to give anything away i promise <laughs> so there was one book nod that, um when you see sam and gilly and they approach the night fort um, he mentions that they're near the night fort and, um, he talks a little bit about the history of it, which is always cool to hear. Um, but I, the, what I thought of immediately when I thought of the night fort is all the cool stories of old Nan, um, told them about, you know, about what happens in the night fort. And, um, there, that's kind of when you really learn initially about, the idea of guest right and the the fact that the North really does take it seriously. So that was really cool that they sort of addressed it in that, in that way. So it was like kind of reminding book readers, um, oh yeah, that's, that's the night for it. That's, that's when all that stuff happened. And that's where you um, learn about guest right. And um, I think a game of Thrones is when they mention it first. Love that uh, story. So it's pretty cool. And then another little um, book nod right at the beginning as well when they arrive at the twins. And um, uh, Walter Frey says to Talisa, you know, if you wanted to hide her, you shouldn't have brought her. And uh, book readers know that that's a little, <laughs> that's that's kind of making note of the fact that in the books, um, the character Talisa is a little bit different and things go a little differently. So I thought that was kind of clever that they added that. Um, and, uh, a few other things. I do love the, um, the tower scene in, uh, with Bran and, um, 
and Hodor and then John and the wildlings on the outside. And I just, I love how, um, Martin wrote that, you know, it was, it's very cool how it goes back and forth and you see it through the eyes of summer. A yeah, little that's bit. really and cool. I think they, they did a pretty good job of capturing that. It's really hard to do with the dire wolves and stuff and everything happening so fast. But I thought that they were really clever about a few things that they did with it. And, um, you know, I wanted to point out that it's the first time that Bran wargs into Hodor. And I just watched it again and I realized it's actually the first time that he meaningfully wargs into Summer as well. Because um, before he was doing it in his dreams, but now he's able to do it um, waking and, uh, oh, and use it for strategy and use it to, to defeat their enemies. And so, um, but the first time he works into Hodor, um, and then of course the last time is when, when Hodor gives his life, um, to make sure that they get away. Um, which is, uh, which happens in season six. So, um, and they talk about, uh, that's a horse dying. Um, they hear that sound outside. And I thought immediately that like Hodor is Bran's horse He's kind of the way that Bran gets around. And uh, so uh, I I doubt that it's deliberate foreshadowing um, of Hodor's death, but that's that's what it made me connect it to. And um, if it was, that's really clever. (laughs) If it's not, then I'm just reading into it too much. But um, (laughs) I thought it was kind of cool that uh, that connected at the same time. Um, And lastly, John, um, you know, it, I have to say grit really should have seen it coming um, that he, you know, he's not going to kill the horse breeder because he did the same thing with her when he first meets her, you know, he, he's, he's told that he has to kill her and, you know, he's got the sword at her throat and she's like, yeah, strike true. And the, the guy does the same thing. He's like, yeah, it looks sharp. And he like, he wants it to be quick and painless. And John just makes him wait and it's just, it must be just <laughs> awful to have to wait for that. And I mean, finally, Igret does the job for him, but um, it's just so frustrating to watch. Um, and Igret, like, come on, you should have seen it coming. He did the same thing with you. So, um, and that was kind of his his first scene meeting her, and then her la- his last scene, um, you know, at, with them as a couple, really before before they end up um, before she dies. So. It's just a little bit of a little bit of symmetry there in the storytelling, which I thought was super cool. Great point. Um, I'm sure you guys have lots to talk about about the last scene, um, and I've I've heard so many great comments from so many people. So I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Um, but I just have a really hard time watching it every time. Um, but uh, it's it's really amazing TV, and it's great storytelling, and it's. I think they did a really good job with it. So I um, agree. All right. Thanks so much. And I look forward to hearing you guys talk about the red wedding. Have a good one. Thanks so much for your message, lady Caroline. Lots of great points. And we look forward to hearing from you again real soon. All right, that's our show, episode 71. Thanks for listening, everybody, and a huge thanks to all of our awesome guests for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having yeah, me back. Fun. Yeah, this was awesome. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you guys for letting me yeah. be the only girl a part of this awesome guys podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it's awesome. like Cersei. Surrounding <laughs> yourself with powerful men. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it's really good to have all you guys back on. And Johnny, great to have you on for the first time. We'll have to have you back sometime if Heck you're willing. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really good to have you. Yes, sir. Hell yeah. So uh, next episode, we'll be covering Season 3, Episode 10, the season finale, Misa. So give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. If you'd like to call, you can always reach us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. And if you'd like to write in, you can email us at... Our new email address, ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Imp-slap! We're, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M podcast. You can give us a like or your feedback on iTunes. Make sure you give us a like on the Facebook page. Ratings and reviews mean everything. Kristen and other Podcastica hosts are continuing their coverage of Game of Thrones over at their new podcast, House Podcastica. They have released a new episode covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 9, The Reigns of Castamere. You can find that at housepodcastica.com or by searching for House Podcastica on your favorite podcast platform. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thanks for listening. I totally missed that. Thanks for listening. Old eyes. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, guys. We were just talking about objectifying women, so welcome back. Shiv, shiv, shiv. Yeah, yeah. She just, and the the way she held her face, like artificial dirt kind face. Of, yeah. So edit this out, director. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the national Hello. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Yep. I can't yep. hear you guys. Yes. I mean, it was called the Dragon and the Wolf, so I mean, it's got to be a wolf head with Rob tra- riding oh. on a ice dragon. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. I get it. <laughs> you know, I'm the vulture from the vulture. <laughs> yeah. Birdman, Batman, Batman Bird, yeah, yeah. Bird, Birdman, Batman. How many winged creatures is he? Played? Beetlejuice he doesn't do anything else. <laughs> when, when you take off those clothing, everything stays right in place, doesn't move an inch. But if she's actually uh, Rhaegar as a faceless man in disguise as a woman, then once you take off the the face magic glamour, then <laughs> nothing stays in place. Um, <laughs> Ed, <laughs> I have no idea what the hell you just said. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, that's funny as hell. So where are we? I totally got lost there.
Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I kind of like threw a monkey wrench into everything <laughs> with my crazy tinfoil. Sir Patrick is drowning in tinfoil. Quarth, <laughs> <laughs> Quarth, Quarth, or something. I just said, I just said Quarth. Uh, Sir, we're surrounded. Excellent. Then we can attack in any direction. Francis. <laughs> Francis. Francis. If Arya is a faceless man, Sansa is a hairless woman. It's a nice day to start again. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 